And by bestest boy, we're referring, of course, to the canine unit, not the law gimp they included. <laughs> hey, t- don't speak for me. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Maybe you're here for the law gimp. I'm not, I shouldn't judge. <laughs> I'm not going to kink shame here, Kevin. <laughs> I, oh, boy. Um,. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast that wants some blood for the blood god and skulls for the skull fern. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And uh, yes, today, if you haven't determined by the opening, we are going to be talking about the uh, brand new uh, Codex World Eaters, which has just gone up for pre-order this weekend. And uh, thanks to Games Workshop, we have a preview copy and uh, we want to talk about uh, – normally we would do with – when we're talking about a new codex, we were going to talk about 10 things that you would like to know about that codex. We're going to narrow that down to eight. Because uh, we two care reasons. about the other two. Well, they, <laughs> I don't know if there's – so spoilers, there may not be enough to make a list of 10. And the other part is eight is Korn's magic number, so it would yeah. be wrong if we didn't. Although I will say, if there's ever an Emperor Children, an Emperor's Children Codex, I'm not cutting the list down to six. Sorry. Oh, sure. No, we can do I'm gonna, the top I'm gonna six dot six. So we got one dot one, one dot two, one dot three, and then all the way to six dot six. So I'm going to. I, well, okay, I'll do six items. Gonna I'm gonna make the list, and I'm gonna make them real comprehensive items that cover a whole lot per item. So there, sure. <laughs> yeah, six uh, D sixty six per day. Yeah. yeah, there we go. <laughs> Uh, but first, as always, news, new releases, and your listener mail. And uh, obviously, the big news is um, Las Vegas Open. Uh, Kevin, you were there. Uh, yes. You want to tell us a little bit about your experience with the Friendly? Um, yeah. So LVO moved to, um, and I don't remember. I don't remember if this is the first year or if they moved last year, but they moved to the Rio from Bally's. So they moved to a different different hotel. They had a lot more space this year. Uh, there was like a whole convention, like the whole section of the convention center was a lot larger. The room for for the GT was, I mean, they had the GT and they had the Sigmar event, so it wasn't like completely 40k, but they had, I, I mean, well over a thousand players in there. It was there at six six ta- uh, six games per like strip of tables, and then they had three like row uh, four rows of tables. All the way through the convention hall. So it was shoulder to shoulder and like just packed. But like it was really cool. And they had a big uh they had a big stage. They were showing the stream game up on stage on like a big projector so everybody could watch it. When it got to the final day, people were literally just sitting in the chairs and like they had they had chairs set up uh and people <laughs> were just watching the game. Like that nice. was cool. Yeah, there was all sorts of great like painting classes. There were all sorts of events. There was Crisis Protocol. There was the Batman game. There was uh, there was people. There were sections where people were just playing boarding actions games. Uh, there were people that were doing Kill Team, Necromunda, you know, Blood Bowl, like all sorts of stuff. The the friendly uh, uh, as always was was a lot of fun. There were ninety people signed up for the friendly. Oh, nice! Uh, but I think only eighty-two actually, like, actually showed up and and played. Um, and then I think number. there was a few drops on day two because 
Saturday night in Vegas. You know, not everybody not everybody was able to get out of the crack of crack of nine AM to to play a game. Um <laughs> which is which is normal. Like that's that's normal at OVO. Um but uh yeah, uh I had a good time with it. Um took my world leaders, uh wanted to give out, you know, wanted to give the old models and some of the uh old units a final run out. But uh I went one and three. I played uh four really good opponents. Uh, I apologize because I forgot to write down the names and I went to go check in BCP and I'm not a subscriber. So it's the events old enough now that I can't go look at it. <laughs> um, but uh, game one, I played uh, Blood Angels um, who thoroughly wrecked wrecked my face. Um, just completely, completely destroyed me. Turns out Sanguinary Guard and Dante are really tough to kill. Um who knew except anybody that was paying attention to competitive 40 K <laughs> because that basically that not that same list, but key elements of that same list won LVO. So yeah, like- yeah real quick, just a shout out to Jack Harpster who we've mentioned before. He won, uh, like we, we talked about like events when we did our year recap. I know he won two of like the, the main, mm-hmm. like super major events. And this time he came around, he won LVO and I think took the ITC championship he did. as well yes, he did. for the year uh, with Blood Angels. And yeah, it's Dante, Lamartis, a Sanguinary Priest with a jump pack, three units of Infiltrators, then three units of Sanguinary Guard, three units of Death Company, and a sangu- Sanguinary Ancient. He went for like all jump combat yeah. beatings. And, and, and that's a beat stick list. And to be fair, my, my opponent in the friendly did not take that list. He took elements of that list. He took Dante and a unit of Sanguinary Guard and a unit of Death Co- Death Company. Um, you know, so it wasn't the same list. It wasn't it wasn't a super competitive list. It's just Sanguinary Guard are really tough. Um so yeah, uh it was a fun game. Uh I so I decided since it was the friendly, I, I was we were playing the uh Nephilim missions and uh in the nephilim missions world leaders have their own uh have like one uh uh secondary so i was like well i'm going to take this every time and it was the uh it was skulls for the skulls throne which is basically my warlord issues a challenge against a character in your in your army and i get 5 points if the warlord dies 5 points 5 additional points if the warlord died in melee and 5 additional points if the warlord was killed by my lo- warlord in melee so it's one of those kind of all or nothing, like 15 point secondaries. And I'm like, well, I'm going to pick Karn, obviously, to like issue this challenge. And I'm just going to challenge your warlord. Turns out that was a bad idea because in <laughs> three of the four games, the warlords were Dante, Morgan Vall, and uh, Logan, uh, Logan Grimnar. So <laughs> well, they're killable. Karn- Karn can't kill them. <laughs> Karn okay. can't do that. <laughs> yeah, Karn isn't going to be able to kill them. Uh, he did kill the lowly, uh, let's say lowly. Oh, no, I guess it wasn't Logan. It was, uh, I'd have to think about who the, who the warlord was in that one. But uh, it, I, when I played the the Space Wolves, the game I did win, uh, it was like, uh, their, it was a rune priest was like his warlord. Oh, and yeah. They're, that they're rune squishy. priest got popped like yeah. a, you know, got popped like a zit. Um, <laughs> but uh, I played uh, uh, Blood Angels in the first game, lost. I played uh, Sisters in the second game, and it was very, very close, but ended up losing um, because uh, at one point, oh, oh, I know what it was. This was I played. It was it was Custodes that I played the final game. At one point with the 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 Sisters, it looked like I was kind of winning the game, and I was kind of rolling, and then like Morgan Vall and the Paragon War Suits like just ro- rolled through everything else in my army. Um, so but uh, it was. 
Mm-hmm. The lesson that you said you were going to tell me, you forgot to phone a friend, right? Yeah. I kept doing the thing where I'm like, well, if I split attacks, I can kill this thing and I can kill this. And I ended up killing neither because I split my attacks, uh, which is, you know, a thing I need to remember. Yeah. How many times have you stopped by and said, okay, next time I say I'm going to attack multiple things, tell me no. You didn't yeah. Well, call. So the thing is, it's like right after, <laughs> but right before I did that, I just, I put all of my attacks into one thing and just wiped through them and had like 30 attacks left over. And I'm like, oh, well, I can split my attacks. Anyway. Uh, the dice gods giveth, very, the dice gods taketh away. Exactly. It was a very <laughs> close game. It was a very fun game. Uh, all of my opponents were, were really fun, were really great. Um, third game, I played uh, Space Wolves and I was able to win. Um, although it's kind of funny because, as we'll get to a little bit later, I kept, was like, man, it'd be really cool to have, like, you know, fast attack units that, like, have mounts that do attacks in my new World Eaters army. It's a shame he didn't get any. Um, it was like, Thunderwolf Cav were really awesome. Be a cool yeah. idea to put in a corn army. Anyway. Um, Smash has them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know. <laughs> but uh, it was a fun game. Uh, I ended up winning that one pretty. It was also pretty close. You know, close in the way that, like, uh, all of the games that I've described in my World Leaders, where it's, like, at the end, like, I have, like, two units left, they have, like, two or three units left, and it's, like, yeah, like, the score may not have, you know, may not have been super close, because I think in that one, it ended up, it ended up kind of, uh, it was, uh, I think it was, like, Domination was the one we were playing, so when I got to the point where I was killed him down to only a couple units left, I was able to just camp on objectives and score a bunch of points in the last, like, two turns, so like the score was was quite a bit you know was was a uh you know didn't look close on paper but it was a very close game because like if he had won one of those combats and he had had more units then he would have been able to run up the score at the end too. Um and then the final game I played Custodes and it was really funny cuz we were playing uh uh we were playing uh the 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 mission with the uh, like the half circle the circle in the middle so you can kind of get pretty close. Uh, and he hit a lot of his army kind of in the back and, you know, but, and then went first, had to kind of come out a little bit. I was able to counter charge, get a lot of damage done on the first and second turn. Cause I got into his lines at one point, we got to the point where he had four models left on the table. He had Trajan, a Terminator and two, two guardsmen with spears. And at that point he was like, this is like turn three. And he's like, I I, I can't win this game. Like, I should just concede. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You do not understand. I have like 60 models left on the table. But when you look at them, half of them die because it was a bunch of cultists. I'm like, no, no, no. You're going to win this game with four models. And he's like, no, there's no way. And lo and behold, he won that game with four models because he managed to kill <laughs> the rest of my army because custodes are badasses. And like at that point, yeah. I had... I had lost like all of my heavy hitters. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. You were going to win this game. Um, so it was, again, it was very close. And we wound up having like, I think, I, you know, he had four models left. I had like five by the time the game ended and only because he didn't have enough time to like just chew through all of them. Uh, but again, all of the games were super fun. Uh, there were some really great armies. Uh, the guy who won uh, player's choice and I forget his name, but he had a, uh, a Praetorian, uh, uh, um, Imperial Guard Army, and he had a Praetorian uniform that he wore. So he had like the the dress uniform, the pith helmet. It was it was pretty cool. <laughs> it definitely nice. got some attention. But yeah, it was a fun event. Uh, it was it was a really fun event as always. So 
Um, and it was a good kind of send off for my my old world eaters before I make basically make a new army. <laughs> well, and the like the LVO friendly like the couple of times that I've played in it has always been a blast. Um, yeah, you know it's if you are not feeling up to the you know the challenge of the competitive field, which is a gigantic. It is I think the largest oh, yeah. competitive 40k event. Um, and you just want to relax, play a fun army, and just get in some neat games. That is absolutely the way to go, is the LVO friendly. I cannot recommend yeah. it enough. And it's one of the reasons why we like having friendly events said anything we run, including the we will have a friendly at Midwest Conquest. In fact, if you go to MidwestConquest.com, uh, you can find links or you can search for Midwest Conquest uh, on um Best Coast Pairings, and you will find events there where you can register. Uh, we've got a uh, – let's see. We now have a uh, – we've got a the G, the Grand Tournament, that, so the GT, the Friendly, uh, Night Joust. Um, we have uh, Beer a Hammer. Beer Hammer event. Uh, we actually have a letter about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, Beer Hammer event. Uh, there is a Bolt Action event. Uh, we are currently I – th- I mean, I say we. I am not one of the tournament organizers, but the group running the event is currently looking at getting a Marvel Crisis Protocol event set up. So uh, there's going to be several things to do at Midwest Conquest. It is Memorial Day weekend in Independence, Missouri. All the details are up on the website, MidwestConquest.com. Uh, definitely check that out and come, uh, you know, because Kevin, you will be running the friendly, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I'll be running the friendly. Um, I haven't put the mission pack together yet, but I will hopefully get that up in the next week or two. And, you know, it's going to be very similar to what we did last year, but there's 28, 28 spots available in that. And it'll be a, you know, a two day, two day event. So you'll get five games in um, if you want to play in a kind of a more low key event than the, than the GT, but there's also going to be the GT there's other events. There's Night Joust, Beer Hammer, stuff like that, Friday night. So uh, you can come and play in those events and then play in the Friendly or the GT the next days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will be in the GT. And yeah, as you of are, now... You're going competitive now. Well, I, I, this is year Votan, and I think we all discussed that I, we don't think Votan would be a great one for a Friendly because they're probably a little too competitive even out of the box for that. So... Mm-hmm. Gonna do the, the GT in right now. I'm in the top 24. And nice. it's funny you mentioned Voton because uh, that is actually yeah. We will have two. Uh, there will be two raffle armies coming up for this. First one will be an I believe an orc titan that being custom made and painted. Uh, and that is going to go. Uh, that the proceeds from that will go to the Veterans Community Project, which is a, a group that helps create um, housing for unhoused, unhomed uh, veterans. And then uh, we are going to continue supporting the KU Cancer Center uh, with a Leagues of Votan army. Uh, so those will both be available. If you are there at Midwest Conquest, you can ra- enter the raffle at a dollar a ticket and to try to win one of those two uh, two prizes and take home something cool. Um, but anyway, back to LVO. The other thing that we had at LVO, as always, is the LVO preview. We always have a reveal of what is coming down the pipe in the next few months or so. And uh, they did not disappoint this year. Um, we had – so we get our first peeks at the Wrath of the Soulforge King uh, boxed. Which is going to be Vashtor and uh, a Chaos Space Marine Force up against the Dark Angels featuring the new Azrael model that has been officially revealed. 
And uh, apparently, Arcs of Omen 3, which is coming this spring, will feature uh, Vashtor attacking the rock itself, the, the home of the Dark Angels. This will be the first time Vashtor will be available. He's a big boy. Uh, he is, although I don't think he's quite Angron big. <laughs> no, no, I think he's he's definitely a little bit slimmer, but uh, he's yeah. still a big boy. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the new Primaris Osrael looks looks really nice. Uh, and so that is coming this spring, most likely. Uh, we also got our first look at a new Space Marine box set, uh, the Strike Force Agastus. And this features two, well, two new units and then a new Primaris Lieutenant because Codex Primaris Lieutenant has to be a thing at this point. <laughs> but it's like, it's apparently it's going to be a new multi-part, very customizable Primaris Lieutenant, which is cool. Uh, more options are always good. I think in the review, yeah. they compared it to the old uh, Space Marine Commander model, which was a fantastic kit because it yeah. was just, just, you were spoiled for choice on on how to build that. But the two new units featured in the uh, Strike Force Agastus box are the uh, Dreadnought Brutalis and the uh, the Desolation Squad, which is a Primaris equivalent to a Devastator Squad. Now, the Brutalis is basically what if you took a Redemptor and made it more fighty, uh, you know, giving it yeah. double fists or claws, a pair of Multi-Meltas up front, and then a twin-linked pair of uh, Heavy Stubbers on top for, you know... <laughs> Really reminds me of the Blood Angels Dreadnought back yes. in the day that had the, all the claws. I f- even forget the name, but I just remember it tore through an entire unit. Oh, it's just the Death Eldar. Company Dreadnought, or the, yeah, the, the like Furioso. The, yeah, Furioso, the Furioso. That was the name. Yeah, and then like the Death Company one would have the the Blood Talons. Yeah, it's yeah. very reminiscent of that. Remember back in Fifth Edition, the Blood Talons. If you hit, it got more hits, so you could basically yes. just. Get, and I've had entire like tower armies get ripped through by a single dreadnought. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, yeah. well, just keep hitting. All right. <laughs> I, I remember that the only way to stop it was have nobody near it. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> well, um, when he was done, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the yeah the the brutalis like the minute I saw it with those claws, I'm like, I must have this from the Blood Angels army I'm working on. Yeah. It's like this this. I, I, and apparently, you, if you don't want to have double multi melters, you can take uh, looks like double heavy bolters. Oh, nice. Yeah, so that's good to have some options there. And then if you take the claws, you just get the claws. If you take the fists, they have uh, storm bolters on each hand as well. So you can nice. make this fighty, fighty, shooty, or just pure fighty and like armor peeling. Nice. So I, I definitely like the brutalis. I like the more dynamic pose that it's in compared to the uh, I do Redemptor. Too. Just that yeah, charging it forward, like more motion. Yeah, which is kind of terrifying if you think about that. <laughs> Because those are not small compared to like even space marines, and just that yeah. thing charging at you at full speed seems very frightening. Yeah, that thing is uh, that thing is awesome. I, I like I like the look of it. Uh, I want to go ahead and jump real quick to the the primaris lieutenant. Just make a comment about it uh, because I want to say nice things first. Um, <laughs> the primaris lieutenant model like actually looks really awesome. Like it's it's nice to have like the multi part kit where you can like buy one and make a bunch of stuff and have bits left over for other things. It's also got like kind of a nice like nice pose on it. Like I I, I do like that, and I know that people make fun of like oh primaris lieutenants, but like yeah, this is actually a good model to have out there because like like the old space marine commander like 
this is a place where you can get a bunch of bits. You can buy one model, kind of splash them in, pose them the way you want, kit them out the way you want. Um, and I think there's just going to be a lot of options. So I, I really do like that that one. Yeah, no, I'm like looking at it. It's like you've got th- like these three. They're obviously built off of the same like legs and torso. Mm-hmm. But like just by using different arms and different head positions, you get very different feels to the pose. The uh, You've got like the arm with the uh, like cybernetic replacement. So if you want to do somebody who's been injured or if you're playing Iron Hands, you've got a, a clear option there. You've got yeah. multiple weapon options. I even like the fact that they have a, double, a different tabard options because that's one thing that's always bugged yeah. me is you get the, the model that is clearly meant to be an ultramarine. And it's like, yeah, but <laughs> not everybody does like the Roman style like strips of leather tabard yeah and um so the fact that they have somebody that actually just uses a cloth tabard is really nice i i very much like having that as an option so yeah i really like the primaris lieutenant option or that i really like the primaris lieutenant kit and honestly there's no reason why you couldn't use this guy as a primaris captain also like you could 100 yeah he is primaris fighting man character yeah Pretty much. No, I do like that. So we talked about the Dreadnought. We talked about the Primaris Lieutenant. I think it's time to move on. Uh, nope. Nope. As much as we like we're to gonna do nice this. Things, we're going to do this? We're going to do this? All right. We're going to do this. All right. We're going to do this. <laughs> well, first of all, let's talk about the fact that this kit does also include five heavy intercessors, which is, is nice, oh, nice, nice to have. Yeah, fair enough. With that and uh, the five that I have from, uh, I want to say, ne- like the Kill Team Pariah Nexus box, I'll mm-hmm. actually have 10 if I get this, because I definitely want that Brutalis. The downside is it's going to come with 10 uh, Desolation Squad Marines. Um, okay. <laughs> well, people this were complaining a- that there was not a heavy weapons choice. <laughs> You're right. Yes, that is so that was a this complaint. This answers all of their prayers. Um, no. <laughs> nope. <laughs> So it's like, <laughs> I, you know, there's a lot of people who haven't been fans of the Primaris models. And I, I like the, I generally like the Primaris proportions. I like that they yeah. feel like the, the true scale Marines that people always like to, yeah. and most of the Primaris Marines look cool. You know, I like the, the new Mark, the Mark 10 armor and everything, but somebody, it's like somebody had the challenge. What if we took a Primaris Marine and made it look stupid? Yeah. By giving it a nerf gun. Okay. Maybe. Maybe this was from a corn challenge because they wanted something to outderp the derp. Oh god, yeah, the maybe. Derp throw. <laughs> it's 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 so close. like like where do we begin? Um, the okay, like I don't hate the idea of like the underslung big rotary grenade launcher. That one actually yeah. doesn't bother me. Yeah. That part is cool. What's stupid is that it's on what should be like a heavy bolter chassis looks right. like but instead of a heavy bolter we stuck a an like a laser sight where the barrel would be and then we just kind of stuck a couple of rocket tubes on top of that and made the most unwieldy looking weapon i think i've ever seen and like even looking at the the models like whoever painted this i mean uh, you know kudos to them for doing like the fine edge highlighting and little scratches and everything on like the armor and even on like the weapon casing but you can tell that the lines along the missile tube aren't even straight they're all wobbly like this is <laughs> i mean 
it just yeah. seems poorly molded. It's poorly thought out. I've already like obviously I've seen people do like the nerf recoloring of the weapons because they just look goofy like that. But also I've seen people point out that these marines would be covered in backblast because a lot of these like missile tubes would exhaust right into their faces when they fire. And not only that, they're all like they're they're and this is actually a design aesthetic choice that I think is is fine. But, like, they're the box missiles, so, like, they've got, like, the, you know, the clothes thing, and then, like, the little X and stuff like that, which means they're one shot. <laughs> yep. Like, that's a cool design choice, but you can't reload them or reuse them, so now I've got this gigantic, and, like, the, I was I was scrolling through the pictures, and I and I saw the one that made me laugh the most. There's one where this guy is, is holding, like, a pistol, and he's shooting out, or whatever, and he's got, like, the, the entire gun, like you know, kind of, like, resting on his arm, hold, holding it straight up. And, like, he looks so goddamn top-heavy. Like, even if <laughs> well, it's a Nerf gun... he's got that gigantic, like, optical array on his shoulder, too. Well, he has, to, like, he has to have that for counterbalance. Torse. He has to have that for <laughs> counterbalance, because even if that's a Nerf gun, he's going to fall over, because that thing is too heavy. Like, just... This is, this is bad. This is, these are poorly designed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean the rules may be fine. We'll we'll find out when this box set comes out what the rules look I, like. It's generated lots of commentary. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward. I look forward to seeing what people do with uh, conversions for this because if you look at the weapon designs, it looks like it's pretty modular because there's you know there's smaller rockets with like four barrels. There's two barrel. There's a you know a kind of a combi one. So I imagine that these are all like bits that glue onto the main gun chassis. So it should be relatively easy for people to, you know, mount them in ways that don't don't look like garbage. I mean, I the problem yeah. the biggest problem I see with these is the fact that they tried to make missile launchers hold like rifles. Yeah. And, and especially like the double wide missile launcher cuz like I'm looking at the the one where it's got like the two larger missile tubes mounted on either side of the the gun frame and it's like th- one of those is going to go off right in somebody's face like yeah. you're going <laughs> to and it's like there's a reason devastators either have like l- like slung guns like where they're carrying them like by handle on top yeah. or they've got them shoulder mounted like there's there's a reason for that and, and there's no reason why the Desolation Squad couldn't have gone with that basic design rather than going like, well, we're just going to take a rifle and strap missiles to it. That that It's like, okay, Belisarius Call, go go home. You're drunk. <laughs> and, and Rob, if you think the old Devastators, the missile guy, that's it's on his shoulder, yeah. but it also has a little arm thing to pull missiles out of the backpack. So the yep. arm thing it's does reloadable. the reloading. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Like, you look at it, it's it's completely functional Uh, so yeah it's just there were some decisions made in the design process on this and it really disturbs me that at no point did somebody or maybe somebody did push back and got slapped down but it's like this went from like the design process to modeling to production and at no point did someone intervene and say no Okay. Because, like, I think they look cool. The, they look totally the silly, but yeah. it's kind of cool. I mean... It's not practical. It's, it's not practical. Yeah. <laughs> it it distracts from what could be a cool unit. And I think okay, that's, what, that, that's yeah. what really bothers me. It's like, there's 
there's potential here, but like the guy who is top heavy with that huge rocket launcher, and again, it's like <laughs> it's because he's holding it the way one would hold a rifle and or a yeah. pistol, and it's like yeah, it's like you can tell it's like somebody took the sniper rifle pose off of like an eliminator. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, well, what if we make that a rocket launcher? It's like, no, one of those is very different than the other. You yeah. can't do that. So, yeah, it's it's a frustrating design, and I, I I expected a little bit more, but or maybe this is like Arrested Development. I don't know what I expected. But well, you got heavy so weapons for your Primaris now. <laughs> so here's so here's the thing that's interesting to me, um, and and I know we don't buy into rumors a lot and stuff like that. But this was all these things were rumored. There was rumors of a of a melee treadnought. There was rumors of desolation squads, which I think they were even called desolation squads in the rumors of like you know heavy weapon Primaris. The interesting part of this is all of those were at least in what I had seen were talking about them being in the tenth edition launch box. So that's interesting if they're coming out sooner um, yeah. and they're not you know they're not in the launch box. Does that mean that 10th edition launch box isn't going to have space marines? Probably not. Does that mean I, there's not I, I can't 10th edition isn't coming? Not like, does that yeah, mean I, that 10th edition's not coming this year? Like, does it mean there's something else? I don't know. It's just kind of odd. Because there's a lot of rumors or like of new space marine stuff, but like most it of it's in here. It's like, yeah, hmm. raises questions for sure. Uh, let's see. Um, then we're going to move over to Kill Team as Kill Team terrain is becoming increasingly interchangeable with boarding actions terrain. So, uh, and the boarding action forces are not all that different from Kill Team forces. And so we yeah. get Soul Shackle, the next Kill Team box, uh, which features a, a Drukari Cabalite Kill Team versus Adeptus Arbites. We finally get Plastic Arbites. Yeah. And their bestest boy. And the bestest boy, yes. <laughs> I am excited for these, though, because I, these, these are models that I think I think they look great. I think, you know, I think it's an, a nice upgraded version of, of uh, Arbites. It gives them some, like, extra, like, cool weapons, which is kind of neat. And then uh, it's just cool to have them in plastic. Like, they're, they're such a foundational part of the setting that, like, it's cool to have them back on the tabletop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like you can definitely see the inspiration from like twenty ninety nine, or I think that's AD twenty ninety nine, AD twenty ninety nine. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was trying to remember if it was twenty ninety nine AD or AD twenty. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, from basically classic British sci fi comics, Judge you know, where Dredd? Judge Dredd comes. Yeah, it's like you know, yeah. you can absolutely imagine the head of the Arbites with his big, you know, eagle crest going, "I am the law," and. Actually, he'd probably do it in the Carl Urban voice, which is way better. But <laughs> yeah, and he's got his little like floating fox caster, which is awesome. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's just so much cool things in this kit. Like you've got the malls, you've got the shotguns, you've got the the shields. Yeah, this is. Yeah, I don't know. I just really like this. <laughs> I'm excited for these guys. And then we've got the Drukari Cabalites with a bunch of additional add-on pieces to give them a little bit more character, just like we get in all the Kill Team add-ons, including the guy with the bird, who I think we saw the silhouette of at the, you know, the earlier preview this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those models look cool. I know Kevin said, hey, do you want them? I'm like, mm, I have so <laughs> many Dark Eldar that are not seeing the table right now. So... Yeah, but these Dark Elder have upgrade bits. Yes, they do. 
<laughs> and if I did a kill team of Dark Eldar, that would be very interesting. But I haven't played kill team. And we've got a, and it will include another set of Gallo Dark terrain, including breachable walls with actual like push out sections. Yeah, which, and then uh, a like display p- pieces, including like control panels and a holographic. A holographic board displaying the kill team table, which I, that is so meta. I love it. Yeah, yeah, the display pieces are what make me like the box, but not enough to get it fully. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm looking forward to the people that are able that the 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 super awesome person out there on the internet that's going to take that display piece, like that display board, and put up like and do a mini kill table kill team table on it, like as a as a diorama. Because yeah, I, know I know that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, you know that's going to happen, and I am here for it. <laughs> no, I, the 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 terrain that they've been doing, you know, starting with like the Galadark series and then going into boarding actions, has like I'll say it. It is some of the uh, best terrain, like visually, that I think they've done for especially mm-hmm. for this scale of play and Dennis you actually have I mean getting into hobby progress a little bit but you do have some experience with the terrain now well just a little bit yeah I, I went ahead and bought a boarding actions box and yeah put all the train together it there's really not much gluing to do you just have to glue the doors on um, and then there's some pillars you have to glue because they're half on one half on the other but they fit together very snugly, and then the, you put caps on them, which are also go on there very snugly. So everything fits really snug. So it's hard to, well, I'll say it's hard to take apart. But when you're playing the game, you won't, if you accidentally bump a piece or touch a piece, it's not going to fall down. Cause I know the, what was the apocalypse, apocalypse Armageddon train that was like the big, mm-hmm. like, 10 inches off the ground platform stuff that they said, oh yeah, you can just modularize by having these click on things that can clip between things. And that always felt flimsy. No, these, these feel really solid when you get them together. Um, and so much so that I guess I didn't let the glue dry full. I mean, the glue was dry, but it hadn't set when I tried to put two pieces together. Then when I pulled them off that pillar, came in half so i had to re-glue it uh and then i said okay i'm gonna let you fully set before i do that again but oh no the train is so nice the doors the way they've got it set up you put the glue like in some recesses and then there's i'll call them pins that you rest the hinge on so the glue never is close to the hinge so now i can just gush about this terrain for a while that it's it's I think it's really good terrain and it if you're doing especially boarding actions it does make you feel like you're in congested corridors which I also oh, like very cool yeah it's again I keep I keep looking at the price and I keep bulking but like this set and I just gonna throw this out there um, on Amazon you can find the Into the Dark the first kill team set that had like the naval breachers and crew and like one half of what you would need for boarding actions. Normally that's like a 200 something dollar box. Uh, you can find it on Amazon for 165. And so I am tempted to get that and the, um, and then this set, uh, Soul Shackle when it comes out, 
mm-hmm. because I think that would like I love the hollow table. I think the arbites would be very cool, uh, and then have a, a boarding action force or you know, boarding action table train with like the hollow table and everything. It'd be more expensive than doing the just buying the boarding action set, which I'm finding increasingly hard to find anywhere. It's like selling out, but uh, but gosh, those. Like the hollow table pieces and the put the breachable walls and everything would like seems like it would make it worthwhile to do that. Yeah. And speaking of selling out, I've been looking for the Arcs of Omen book, and it I can't find it anywhere right now. Including GW site says it's out of stock, so I'm hoping so, they do more. Yeah, that Im- that implies that it is it is popular enough that people are are snatching it snatching it up and the terrain. So. Maybe it is a better point of entry than than I felt it might be. You know, a couple of, yeah. a couple episodes back. So you know, I, if the, if this is a case where I am wrong, I will be happily wrong because <laughs> I would like to, I, I, I would like to see it succeed. I don't know if it's his point of entry, but I think all the I'll say the garage people, the people who just play with their friends, not at organized events. Mm-hmm. This is a really good game for that style of play, I believe. Yeah, and I think there's there's definitely interest in something at a more skirmish level but maybe not as small as kill team you know something at like Mm -hmm. that 500 point level for 40k uh and yeah we've definitely advocated for smaller game sizes in the past and so hey if this is if this is working to make that a reality in in a fun way where a small force on a larger open table might not be as appealing something like this especially if like you say dennis it really reinforces that feel of congested corridors um this, yeah, might be uh, the best way to do that. Uh, let's see. And then uh, the last couple of things I will touch on, or the last thing I will touch on, because it is Horse Heresy, which can w- be brought into 40K, and that is the Cerberus Heavy Tank Destroyer, which yeah. is basically what if you took a Spartan and mounted basically a uh, Titan laser on it. And uh, that thing's awesome and horrifying. <laughs> And that's been a, a pretty popular, I know at various points, pretty popular tank to use in 40k for like some of the competitive lists because that thing will just wreck large vehicles and super heavies. So, um, yeah, being in plastic now, you know, eventually when it comes out means that, uh, you know, you might see more of them on the table. So. Yeah. But it's a cool again, tank. That's, yeah. And that's one of the things I'm really happy with, with like all the kind of the Legion agnostic stuff for horse heresy coming to plastic is it does also make it available for 40k for people who want to use it but it also again lowers the bar of entry for getting into horse heresy which is a good thing anything gw can Mm -hmm. do to make it easier to get into their games will get people playing games so that is that is awesome and that's just an awesome looking bit of tank to to bring to the table so very cool to see that that will be coming soon as well and then I guess one last thing that is not from LVO, they did reveal the event models for this year. For if, like if you were going to a US Open or some other event that uh, Games Workshop is directly sponsoring, like so any of the super majors, um, the uh, new 40K model is a new commissar, specifically referred to as the commissar's duty because of the, the pose and what it implies. <laughs> duty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> But like Commissar with his power sword stuck in the ground and his bolt pistol out, uh, in in the pose of like I'm about to to drop a bolt shell into some some coward. That is an awesome looking uh, 
commissar. Again, I miss the larger hats, but maybe the more I'm, I'm coming to grips with the more realistic styling of the <laughs> the new guard line. So uh, I'll, I will take the L and admit that I I don't get big hats anymore. Well, unless you, unless you buy Gaunt. Gaunt gets a big hat. You, you could, I mean, you could do the Team Fortress thing and put a hat on a hat on a hat. Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to Team Fortress this guy up. Oh, I'll, man, a Team Fortress Imperial Guard unit? That would be kind of cool. <laughs> Although I, I do like the article I found, and I, I linked to you, Richard, the uh, the people who are doing what you're doing and taking the new Cadian kits and making them into uh, Brood Brothers and cultists. Yeah, yeah I that that was – that's – that at least that first example is is pretty much right on what I was what I was going for. No, that it looks good. <laughs> I know this kind of gets into the main topic a little bit, but they it there's another thing they posted up on the community site. Um, they they posted a bunch of like community painted Angron models. So there were several really really cool looking ones in there. Uh, but the one I wanted to highlight was uh, Caleb Wisenback from CK Studios. Posted, you know, they posted his as well. It looks completely amazing. It was supposed to be on display at LVO, uh, along with, I think he had a Horus Ascended and a uh, Vulcan Primarch model that he was also going to display. Some person, <clears throat> we'll use that word, stole that's the his, nice uh, way to say it. Stole, yeah. his, stole his model case with those models in it, so he didn't get to display it. So I'm really bummed for that because, like, Looking at the pictures, that model looks amazing. And he even mentioned, I think I, I saw on his Facebook post, he posted the pictures. It's like, yeah, this is kind of a quick paint job. I didn't really get a chance to like do it as much as I wanted. That, I'm like, that's yeah. a quick paint job? That's yeah, the he's quick like, yeah, one? Like, yeah, he's like, I had like two weekends to do this. And I'm like, I hate you, that you're so good at this. Um, <laughs> so uh, I I just wanted to point that out. It's like, go look at those models on the, the Warhammer community site. Uh Definitely Caleb's as well. If you get a chance, follow CK Studios as well. They they post a lot of stuff like work in progress models that they work on for they do stuff for Nova, they do stuff for, you know, the events, they run classes at all of the the GW open events, they do their own classes. They're really awesome people, support them. So I just wanted to call that out because that happened this weekend as well. So Yeah, that yeah, I remember hearing about that, and that is just I mean, it's literally a crime, but I mean, in a more metaphorical yeah. sense, it is a crime that that has been, uh, you know, that basically the community was denied seeing his work in person. Uh, yeah. I do appreciate that, you know, he got photos out to to Games Workshop, so they were able to to share it. I, I do think I, it would have been nice for them to kind of call out that it was stolen on their website to kind of put out an APD yeah. on you know for everybody to to know what had happened, but. But I do appreciate that yeah. we at least get to see it that way, if not, you know, anybody at LVO seeing it in person. But uh, no, the, and like there's some really fantastic paint jobs. Fletcher Giles has like a really cool like pale Angron. So it's all painted in like uh, like pale reds and stuff like that. That's really cool. And then you've got JF DuBose in blues and golds, like yeah. very, very different color styling. Uh, Rob Jones, the Churgeon from uh, Goonhammer. Got one up on the site. And then there, there's that last one from Pete Harrison, which went with a completely different vibe of uh, an unarmored Angron. So, okay. So, Kevin, as someone who has built Angron, because he was also provided to us by Games Workshop, does he actually yes. have, like, the armor? Like, you can do him bare-skinned yes. and he has the armor ports? Yeah. The um, Yeah. So, the, the armor pieces 
Uh, and I was going to get into the hobby progress. Uh, I, I unfortunately only have mine about half painted because this past two weeks have been super busy. I, I also only had two weekends to put to paint it and I did not come nearly, <laughs> nearly anywhere near what Caleb did. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the armor panels on the chest and on the top and the shoulder pads, those are all separate pieces. So yeah, like as of right now, like my, the armor, cause I'm painting the armor panel separate. So yeah, like I have the chest open so like yeah if i decided not to put the armor panels on there he would still look more like a bloodthirster but would still look pretty cool yeah no that Uh, is awesome that that's an option yeah no it's a we'll get into it later but this is a very cool model i i i'm very happy like with this model this is this this model put went together well it paints well like yeah it's it's nice is it (laughs) is it everything you would have wanted from an angron primark model yeah, I think so. I mean, and even model-wise, for sure, even rules-wise, like, I think he's really great. So, um, we'll get into it, obviously, as the, the main topic. But, yeah, very, very pleased with, with this model. Very pleased with with his rules. Uh, I'm very pleased with all of the new stuff that's in the book. All right. Uh, and we will get to that in the second section. But first, it is time for your listener mail. Uh all these letters were written by you, the listeners, and if you want to know how to have your letter read on the air, we'll tell you how at the end of the segment. Uh, first off, uh, we get a response from Peter Fontabasso, who wrote to us a couple episodes ago asking about, like, I have too many armies and I need to downsize. Uh, what do I, you know, like, what do I do? And uh, he, res- he he wrote back to us and he said, hey, guys, just listen to your suggestions to my question on episode 272. Thanks for your help. And I agree, downsizing may be the way to go, plus concentrating on only a few armies for the next edition. Once again, thanks for your input, and I look forward to your future episodes. P.S. Your pronunciation on my last name was spot on. Congratulations. Not many people are able to get it the first time. Hey, I mean, mispronouncing is my thing, so if knowing... See, now I'm disappointed because it means I got it right. See, here's the thing, though. You (laughs) missed the opportunity in this episode to pronounce it wrong. See, that's the thing is, though, I'd have to go back and listen to how I did it the first time and intentionally deviate from that. And I'm not going to put that level of work into this podcast. So that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that, feel, that feels like our energy. <laughs> but, uh, Peter, I'm, I'm glad that that kind of helped. Uh, and, yeah, I think just, you know, downsizing and focusing is is probably the best way if you've got the oh god new edition coming blues and uh so i'm glad we could help uh next letter is from john way john writes uh, dear preferred friendly fellows thank you for consistently responding to my letters on your show it has brought back some very fond memories i have of listening to my father who was a radio show host for 30 years while my attempts to spur complex debate hasn't been achieved as of yet i thoroughly enjoy your insightful <laughs> responses uh, gosh, uh, wow, that's that's awesome because you know I I never got into like my back even though I I I'll, okay so I do computer programming for a living but my background was in theater and I would never have expected to get into doing effectively radio but this has been a <laughs> lot of fun and the fact that I can even that we can even bring an a, a glimmer of what your father must have been like as a radio host that is very cool and I very very much appreciate that comment. Anyway, uh, John uh, continues. My history with 40K is long and was always relegated to a very small local community. My return to play in 8th edition exposed me to a rapidly growing competitive community on the internet and in my new hometown. 
While I am not competitive myself, I thoroughly enjoyed the detailed breakdowns of strategies and codex rules. Reading and listening to varied viewpoints was quite refreshing compared to the way things were back in 3rd to 5th. In those days, long gone, sources of discourse were limited. Bell of Lost Souls, Daka Daka, Warseer, and a particularly foul-mouthed blog were my go-to for news and opinions. Nowadays, I am spoiled for finding reviews, opinions, and tactical discussions. Uh, this brings me to a realization that has come about this holiday season. I have always heard the term beer hammer before and thought it was a mild joke about casual play being so relaxed. However, as my consumption of podcasts, especially competitive ones, grew, I started to notice a trend. It was made clear when the holiday season came and the amount of content discussed dropped and people discussed activities that surround the hobby. A lot of talk about getting drunk, pulling pranks, crass jokes, and locker room behavior was tossed about. In fact, I noticed this trend in my new local gaming community as well. As I mentioned before, my past experience was quite sheltered, but I'm wondering how prevalent this is in the hobby, or have I stumbled into a niche section of discourse? Thank you again for indulging me in my overly verbose letters. Regards, John Way. Um, (laughs) So... I would say like any activity, especially those that where the audience is pro- like, I would say overwhelmingly male still. Um, yeah, you're going to get a lot of, you know, drinking and locker room humor kind of ancillary. I mean, and, and alcohol has has been part of enjoying 40K for a lot of people for years and years. I mean, yeah, you know, because a lot of pe- people do play in their garages, you know, or basements. And so in those very casual environments, it's unusual for people like, you know, crack open a cold one or two and, and, and <laughs> or in, when you're in Las Vegas. Or yeah, I mean, yeah, Vegas, it, it's definitely a thing. But as far as like, yeah, is Beer Hammer a thing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, down to the fact that like there are Beer Hammer events at some tournaments where you go and you'll get a couple of drink coupons or they'll have an open bar there on site. And a lot of times missions will be based around beer. And like sometimes you'll even get like a custom tumbler and your objective marker will be like, hey, if you put your tumbler on the board, uh, that's your, that's an objective now and stuff like that. I mean, you can like really lean into to the playing around with the beer part of it. Yeah, I think it kind of refers to two things. I think there's the the what's come up recently like the specific beer hammer events like like mm-hmm. what Rob was talking about. But I think in general a lot of people also kind of talk about beer hammer interchangeably the same way they talk about like say garage hammer and they just mean like the more casual like friendly like we're going to play, you know, we're going to go play in our basement type thing. Um I don't hear it as much called Beer Hammer. It's more Garage Hammer now, just because Beer Hammer has kind of become a thing that started to pop up at tournaments. But I think I think people will kind of interchangeably use them as like, yeah, let's come over to my house and let's play Beer Hammer and you know, we'll drink drink a six pack while we play a game that takes, you know, six hours, you know, and just have a fun we have a fun have a fun day. So I don't know. I think I think there's some people that kind of use those terms interchangeably. Right, and I think that also, you know, is a derivative of the old phrase "beer and pretzels gaming." Yes, where the idea is it's real low stakes, you know, just casual gaming where you sit around, the, sit around the table. Nobody's taking it super seriously, and you're just drinking beer, eating snacks, and and having fun. And beer and pretzels gaming has a lot of times been used for like certain RPGs or board games where it's a little bit silly, very relaxed, and I think. It, beer hammer is kind of a portmanteau of that applied to mm-hmm. Warhammer. I, I think it's just, you know, s- some of like the experience I think John is having is also just, 
seeing what's happening. Like when there's not a lot going on competitively, people just relax and chill out and be silly and hang out and just, you know, that's kind of what happens. Um, yeah. Like I'm not surprised and it is probably a, you know, more prevalent around like the competitive scene because I do think I'm just going to say there's a lot of bro energy in the competitive scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's, let's, <laughs> let's not mince words here. There's yeah. a lot of dude bros in the, in uh, competitive 40 K that definitely will, will color the, the experience that you have. But, uh, which uh, another reason why I, I don't really s- slot in well with dude bro culture. It's not, it's not my people. So, uh, that's, I think one of the reasons why casual apply, you know, appeals to me more, although I am going to be dipping my toes back into competitive play at at least two or three events this year. So, um, wish me luck. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> but, You'll uh, be fine. I, I'm sure I will. Uh, I think I've got it pinned down to playing Tau this, for this season, but, uh, nice. But yeah, a beer hammer, totally a thing. Don't be surprised by it. Um, it's just like anytime you have a hobby and people are just want to kick, kick back and cut loose. That's just kind of the vibe that can sometimes pop up. So it's yeah. totally normal. N- nothing, nothing unusual. Um, next letter from Jeremy Hagen, who's writing in response to our list building uh, last episode on the uh, Arcs of Omen detachment. Uh, he starts off, I want an Orcs of Omen detachment, which uh, <laughs> listen to the cold open for episode 273 to catch that reference. Uh Love the last episode. My brother will be excited that you can make the eight from the old Farsight book. Uh, Necron's silver tide silliness is quite possible with an orcs. See, there I did it again. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> Maybe you just need a new army. No, no. Got it up. <laughs> no. Stop. You and Richard can race to paint how a lot of orcs. Uh, hey, I have actually painted most of an orc army. Our first raffle army for Midwest Conquest was that uh, Mad Max mm-hmm. orcs army. That's I right. painted a lot of boys and boys and bikes for that so uh anyway uh yeah necron silver tide silliness is quite possible with an arcs of omen detachment uh necron lord of the resorb uh, because if you're going to go silver tide you might as well dig into the back of the closet 12 units of 10 warriors three canoptic reanimators and three ghost arcs uh yeah those aren't gonna die anytime soon <laughs> Uh, you could also build a very 5th edition list, something that hasn't been possible since Satan got sharded back in 6th edition. Uh, the uh, Necron Lord with Resorb, Gosh. 70 warriors, 3 monoliths, and your choice of the Deceiver or the Nightbringer. Oh my god. I'm not, oh no. I'm not no. saying that any of these lists are good. The warriors certainly get a bo- got a boost with the points drop and disappearance of Armor of Contempt. Also, it's not quite annoying as to 120 Plague Bearers and Blightlord Terminators. <laughs> <laughs> but it should be a similar race to see how, or I guess it'd be uh, Poxwalkers. Yeah. It's not quite right. as annoying as 100, 120 Poxwalkers and Blight Lord Terminators, but it should be a similar race to see how many they can kill in six rounds. They might even play with Phase Out in that point. Peace, right. Jeremy. That's what, South Dakota. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. If you play that classic Silvertide army, what you have to do is when you lose 25% of your army, just like, all right, I concede. Going home. <laughs> <laughs> just pack it up and leave. Which was, by the way, that was the maybe the worst rule in the history of 40K. I absolutely hated that. <laughs> like, well, you killed a quarter of my army. I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> that one was pretty bad. I'd say for pure logistics, the first iteration of like 6th edition 
uh, split for Pink Horrors was real bad. It was also bad. bad. <laughs> that was, was also real bad. bad. <laughs> uh, maybe that's a maybe that's an episode topic for another day, like for I've, a rainy I've, day. I've, like, what's the worst mechanics in 40k? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that would be a that would be a fun and kind of depressing one. I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, Anyhow, um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, the, both of those list ideas. And again, that just shows to the flexibility of the Arcs of Omen detachment is that you can't build, like, there's some classic lists that you can rebuild. You can just, like, there's so much that can be done with it. I love that detachment, yeah. and I, I hope it continues to season two of this year because uh, it's so good. Uh, next up, from Ben Dake, Ben writes, Hey, y'all, I wrote to you several weeks ago about what you do when you feel unmotivated and burned out, and I just wanted to write and give an update as well as pose a question to the hosts. Recently, I've discovered a new friendly local game store that is only 20 minutes from my house and has a decent active community. I've played in an intro event for Sigmar, and I'm planning on doing the same for 40k as well as being part of the regular scene there. Previously, I was driving about an hour and 15 minutes to a game store, and, well, it's hard to justify playing a two- to three-hour game regularly when I had to factor in almost three hours of drive time. It turns out being able to play more regularly and be part of a community is a great way to get out of the doldrums. Yeah. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> That's a great way to <laughs> If you do the thing, it's more fun. Uh now, for my question. Since finding this store, I have purchased the Cast Space Marine Codex, and I'll get Arcs of Omen when they get it in. What suggestions do you have for building a Black Legion list using the Arcs of Omen detachment? I'm not necessarily looking for bleeding edge of the meta good, but I don't want to get my teeth kicked in either. Cast Space Marines seem to be in a decent spot with all the recent changes, and I feel I can make the case for almost everything in the book. I'll list what I have, but I'm not adverse to having to get some things to add to it either. So, actually, we're going to do a little bit of quick and dirty uh, list building. Fortunately, upgrades are not really a thing we have to worry about cost-wise, thanks to the uh, recent changes in points. But uh, what Ben has is Abaddon, Master of Possession, Terminator Sorcerer, Exalted Champion, a Demon Prince with Wings and Claws, Disco Lord, a Dark Apostle, Jump Pack Sorcerer, which I don't don't even think a Jump Pack Sorcerer is a legal option anymore. Um... 10 legionnaires, 70 cultists, 3 units of the of traitor guard with plasma melt and sniper, uh 10 berserkers, 10 terminators, leviathan with two storm cannons. Uh ooh, he's got a leviathan dread. Nice. Uh traitor enforcer and ogren, 10 chosen, 4 bikes, a venom crawler, 3 oblitz and a rhino. Ooh, um so let's see. Do do, do open up Battle Scribe because it's the only good army builder right now. Get your game <laughs> fixed for <laughs> games workshop. Cause I'd really like to use your app, because your Age of Sigmar one's really good. I'm just gonna keep singing. Well, I, I would say this. Um you definitely want to use Abaddon because uh, yes. He's badass, and he's he's even better. He's almost an auto, he's an auto include in almost any chaos marine list, and he's absolutely an include in a black legion list. Oh yeah, n- no question. Um, I will say one issue I am seeing is that you have seventy cultists and three units of traitor guard, which also count as cultists. They have the cultist keyword, and yeah. you won't be able to go heavily into that because you have you can't have more cultists than you have heretic astartes infantry uh, now you do have the terminators you can take the berserkers which won't get the black legion uh trait i don't believe yeah they won't no they won't they won't have blood tithe points which that's yes. a little bit of yeah. that's definitely a downside 
Yeah, for sure. Which we will get into why that is a an important thing later. But uh, let's see. So we've got Abaddon. He is a must-have. Um, let's see. We're, you're definitely going to want the unit of 10, le- 10 legionaries. Cause, and uh, your compulsory type on this. I mean, you could go troops because the cultists will definitely allow you to fill that in. You could also go like elites because you've got terminators and you've got berserkers um, and you've got chosen. Like there's, you could go there. You could go. Uh, I don't think you have enough to do heavy as your as your force because like you've got venom crawler and oblitz. I guess the leviathan does the leviathan count as a heavy? Uh, leviathan dread is an elite. So it's that's an another argument okay. for going elite. Uh, yeah. And if you want to go with the trader, and not, not that you did this for compulsory, but uh, more elites with like the trader, the the trader enforcer, and the ogren, um, if you wanted to, use, if you really did want to use the uh, your your uh, trader card, true. And uh, you also can split that unit of ten legionaries into two units of five, which will mm-hmm. give you more choices for um, like having be able to run more cultists. Yeah. Do Terminators count towards that, or is it just Legionnaires that, like, more cultists than... Mere Mortals, you cannot... It's Traitor, Traitorus Astartus Core Infantry, specifically Core Infantry, which I'm pretty sure Terminators are Does include Terminators, yeah. Okay. Uh, And actually, just as a quick aside, I wonder, our Chosen Core... Uh, If Terminators are, I almost guarantee Chosen or Core. Yeah, Chosen or Core, too. So actually... Yeah, you might be able to use more of your cultists here um, with your with the you know terminators and chosen. Yeah, I don't think berserkers would be would be core. Um, they they do not lose the uh, core trait, and I would imagine they have core. Yeah, they are, yeah they do they do have core on the in the white dwarf unit entry. So yeah, I mean, so honestly, like with the, I think you build this around elites. Because you've got Terminators, Berserkers, and Chosen, and the Leviathan. Mm-hmm. So I think you, I think you use that as your your um, compulsory. Your yeah. compulsory. Your compulsory. That gives you three units of cultists slash trader guards that tra- trader guard that you could take. Um, plus, you've got the other unit of Legionnaires that you can that you can splash in, or do a two units of five and and get even more. So that would get you up potentially as many as five units of cultists and or trader guard. I think you definitely want to take the Oblitz as well, because um, you're going to need some firepower in this. Yeah. I think probably just kind of looking through the other like HQ options. Terminator Sorcerer is not bad. Obviously, having Matt, you know, having having Psychers is, is good. The Lord Discordant is good, but really there's only really only the Venom Crawler would benefit from him. So I'm kind of thinking I'm, I'm thinking if you're going to take a, your second HQ is probably going to be the Demon Prince. Um, and then your third, and then depending on how you go with it, if you want, if you want to take the Venom Crawler and the Leviathan, then I think you take the Disco Lord. If you want to take, if you don't want to take those, you could use that as the, the, uh, Terminator Sorcerer or the Dark, you know, or even the Dark Apostle to buff up some of those, those, uh, uh, infantry units. So I think there's kind of, I think it just kind of depends how, what option you want to take with it. Right. And then with like cultists, I think you can go either the Traitor Guard or the, generic like the standard cultists uh, either are going to be fine the the trader guard will actually have better weaponry but they are they're a little yeah. bit more expensive yeah 
And I mean, if you're going to go with the Trader Guardsman um, as a third HQ slot, I definitely would take the. Uh, you know, just for well, the, fluff reasons, I would take the trade like the Trader Commissar, the Trader Enforcer, and Ogren are elites. Oh, are they elites? Yeah, oh, even better. Yeah, they're not HQs. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like you could because, especially in the Arts of Omen detachment, you basically get uh, you, they they count for free because they'll go into that um, elite character slot that doesn't even take yes. up elite slots for you. Right. So even better. Yeah. Uh, the Demon Prince with Wings and Claws. Uh, selections of Chaos Undivided. So he's got to be something. Do we go ahead and make it? Do we make him a, like, Zinch? Or do we give him corn since we're kind of going in with corn berserkers? The idea that he could kind of be following along. Uh, let's go market uh, corn. Today's a corn day. Yeah. So we're going to go corn. Yeah. Um, we're definitely going to make Abaddon. Like, Abaddon has to be the warlord. So that's, like, not even a question. Um. So, all right. So, right now, like, I've got Abaddon the Despoiler, Demon Prince with Wings. Uh, I just went ahead and split the Legionaries into two just in case we need to add more cultists. Sure. Um, the three Trader Guard squads, the Trader Enforcer, the Corn Berserkers, like, five Terminators. So, we could, we'll duplicate that and make it two Terminator squads. So, just for being able to, like, deep strike in smaller squads. Uh, the Leviathan Dread, the Corn Berserkers, which I don't think the points on this is accurate because this Battle Scribe hasn't been updated for the new book yet. So let's see the points on that. Well, so yeah, I don't. So that's an interesting question because I don't know. No, I don't think they've changed. There was twenty-two points a model, and there's still twenty-two points a model. All right, fair so, enough. Yeah. Okay, so I think they're the same. Uh, so that squad is 220 points, although they will be a little bit more expensive because you do have to mark them for corn. Uh, they should get, they should, they get, that, that's included in there. That's included in the, just like, uh, well, um, just like your, uh, uh, son, noise marines have to take Marcus Lanash. So it's already included in the, in the cost. So 22 points includes the mark. Yeah. Okay. Cause let's see. 100. I mean, at most, it'd be an extra 15 points if you did have to pay for it. But sure. yeah, I don't, I don't but think you- it, it's already included. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, it's specifically included in the, in the, in those marked units. And he said he had a rhino. So I'm going ahead and put the berserkers in that because you want to make sure they get where they're going in this list. Yeah. Um, makes sense. Uh, so right now I'm at 1890 points, uh, with three units of trader guards, two five man legionary squads, the two squads of terminators. Let's see. He said he had 10 chosen, chosen, or 125 for a five man. That's too expensive. I mean, I uh, also got bikes, which are good. Uh, the obliterators oh. would be a good addition to this. Oh, I right, think. right. Yeah. We need the, we need the obliterators. Uh, let's see. A squad of obliterators, which is one obliterator for 90 points. You've got lots of options for building this. Uh, yeah. I mean, cause that, this is just one potential list, which is leading and in, leaning into the fluff. You could also go with like, if you wanted to go cultists, chosen, terminators, like if you decide not to go with the berserkers and the demon prince, you could also do the dark apostle, which would also go well with the cultists. Um, or you could do the master possession, the oblets and the venom crawler because they all benefit from being like demon related 
uh, in which case I, you might even I might even recommend picking up a box or two of Possessed because those are actually really good right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you've with what you've got here, I don't think you would have to buy a lot more. Um, you don't even necessarily have to have extra Legionnaires if you don't want, but definitely bring Abaddon. Uh, the Berserkers, you're not going to – like, they won't be bad. You just won't get quite as much out of them as you would in a World Eaters list, but that's to be understood. Um, that's kind of yeah. the point, you know, when you splash them in. But, yeah, I th- I think uh, – I mean, it so, depends yeah, on, like, I, do you want to do hardier troops? You might have to pick up some more Legionnaires, but uh, – well, I went I went quick and dirty on a two thousand point list as well. So Abaddon, uh, Lord Lord Discordant, a unit of cultists, the Leviathan with the storm cannons, two Terminators, chosen Berserkers, Venom Crawler, Oblitz, and the Rhino. So a little bit different than what you did, but like that focused more on like the uh, you know that focuses more on on the the demon engine units, um, right? Which would also be good. Like and that. That easily comes that comes out to exactly two thousand points without any upgrades. So Oh, there you go. There are you have a you have plenty of options with what you have. Yeah, maybe another unit of Legionnaires, maybe another unit of like a unit of possessed or something like that would go in there. Uh, you know, and would be nice. But I think you have plenty of options. Oh, definitely, definitely. So you said uh did you go all ten chosen or I went five five chosen. Yeah, five chosen, ten berserkers, and I split the terminators into two units. So two five man terminator units, two ter- yeah two terminators the chosen, uh ten man unit of berserkers the venom crawler the oblitz and a rhino and like I said it it just happened to come out to exactly two thousand points I don't know if that'd be any good you probably would want to tweak it a little bit but but I mean yeah it's like you're gonna have a little bit problem with like obsec in that list but at the yeah. same time like the other list I was on a lot of your ob- obsec would have been squishy uh, cultists so it's like not not right. necessarily much better. But yeah, this one would definitely lean into the demon engines a bit more. So, yeah, I think you're, demon you're upset vehicles. with this. You're upset with this list would be Terminators deep striking in and punching you in the face. <laughs> right. <laughs> I secure the objective by killing everything on it. Congratulations. <laughs> so yeah, you've got with what you've got there, you can build without buying anything new. Uh, like several different archetypes of lists. Um, so just play around with a couple of those builds you don't necessarily need to buy any more stuff but like you might buy a little like another box of legionnaires you might buy some possessed um otherwise i think you're good with you've got plenty of options and play around with those see what works for you what fits your play style and and just go with it all right and then uh, let's see we've got a letter from chris berry uh he writes hi preferred enemies greetings from melbourne australia i'm a longtime listener and very belatedly answering a previous call for content i've been in and out of the gaming side of the hobby since third edition skipping entire editions due to life etc but have generally kept active on with lore hobby and theory crafting like other listeners have mentioned recently i have felt the pain of codex changes negating my army and in fact that caused my most recent hold on 40k when the chapter master of my definitely not alpha legion rap was shelved as legends. I had previously had this occur with a long-souled Grey Knight's army when Mordrak and his Ghost Knights disappeared. Oh, I, st- I remember you working on those, Richard, back in the day. Yeah. However, I am still quite fond of the work I did on it and wonder on, wonder on where the army may be these days. 
So have you ever found yourself considering ch- chasing up an army you've previously sold? If so, was it worth it, or was it more like the X you never should have gotten back with? Uh, with my current AOS army nearly nearing completion, I'm uh, looking at jumping into another 40k force after years of playing with lists, in this case, Drukhari. However, I find I'm stuck on paint schemes, particularly ha- now by my understanding we're limited to one cabal slash witch cult regardless of detachments. Uh, how do you decide on your final paint scheme, and do you have any tips on trying to work two or more schemes into the same army. I previously tried this with my Night Haunt and found only dubious success. Finally, I wanted to briefly pass on my congratulations for the milestone last year. It was great to find that one of the podcasting pillars of my hobby was still going strong after my recent hiatus, My most after my most recent hiatus. All the best for a great 2023. Regards, Chris. Well, thank you, Chris. Um, so to the two questions, I guess, do you ever wish you had, like, do you ever try to get back with an army that you previously gave up on and got rid of? And how do you decide on a paint scheme? Okay, I'll do the first question. I haven't sold anything. I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'd have to get rid of an army before I could, like, try and get back to one. (laughs) Yeah. What's it like like hearing about your World Eaters army every time I play them? (laughs) (laughs) I was just about to say, it's like, I I gave up World Eaters once. I regret nothing. (laughs) And then the Black Templars you gave up? (laughs) I I occasionally miss the the Black Templars army. I don't, but I had moved on to playing other things, and I I gave it away for a good cause. So I don't I don't yeah. feel terrible about it. Um, and I have if I want to play a salty Red Marines or a salty Imperial like Loyalist Marines, I have a Blood Angels army I'm working on. So yeah. I so will you just combined World Leaders and Black Templars and came up yep. with Blood Angels. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> uh, so I, I would say that well, that and might you, be... you know where your Black Templars are. Yes, I do. I can always find <laughs> Drew and beat him up and take them back. I won't. Can't, I won't actually beat up Drew. <laughs> I still have a few leftover models that like just didn't make the cut for the army. So like I have some leftover like Terminators and they would have been Honor Guard, which is another unit that basically got vaulted because they completely changed how Honor Guard worked and suddenly I had like I could use two of them and I had like eight more that didn't fit in with anything because they weren't like legal for Stern Guard or anything like that. So it's like, oh well, and of course, Black Templars play very differently now. Anyway, so it's like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's the, uh, so I still have them there, but I have found that the best way, if you if you break up with an army and you 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 sell it off or give it to somebody, and and it's gone. It's not like you you give it to somebody else in your play group, but it's it's gone, gone. Um, and you ever get that itch? Uh, like, I don't know if there's any value in trying to necessarily catch up with that army again that can get dangerously close to meta chasing which is something i generally (laughs) discourage uh but i do find that sometimes you want an army that scratches the same itch and fortunately there are with enough armies out there you can find something that will have a similar feel but still be different so like if you were a Tau player and you're like, ah, I don't want to play Tau anymore, but now you're like, ah, but I still kind of love that castling, sh- you know, that shooting focused army. Like maybe Imperial Guard is when you look at, or uh, do you want the, like the assault army? Well, I don't want to play world eaters anymore. Well, there's always, mm-hmm. you know, blood angels or black Templars, or you could even go like, I'm a, like, I have a chaos space Marine army with like assault focused, like 
emperor's children, like noise, like noise marines with chain swords and stuff like that. So it's like you can kind of construct armies that give you the same feel. But like if you put a lot of time in in building and painting an army and then you give it away, um, unless it's just you just love that particular faction so much, you're immediately going to make another one which is also kind of a weird, scary habit if you're just making the same army over and over again and giving it away. Um, I would say it's just best to let it go and find find new things and new ways to scratch that same itch. Uh, I, I don't think I... I'm the only one who's gotten rid of armies, and but I got rid of them because they weren't for me or because I, my time with them was done, and I don't feel that I'm missing anything from that. So I, I have not found any any desire to go back to them but i also like seeing what other people are doing with them so it's it's kind of nice to see what someone who's not me is getting out of that army uh as far as deciding on a paint scheme i mean well like a lot of the armies i have like for me emperor's children well they're pink that's like there's a paint schemes already decided (laughs) for them blood angels are red paint schemes decided uh, for my sisters of battle, the listeners decided on my paint scheme. So that if you have friends, you can just put out a like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, this, or this. What do you think? Purple. Um, well, I know with, with you, it's always going to be if, if it's purple. Like if you have a favorite color, that that's a way to yeah. pick a paint scheme. Um, when I first painted my towel, I had paints left over from another army for another game I was going to do that I never ended up doing. And I was like, well, these are the colors I have, and I don't want to buy a whole bunch of new stuff. So I'll figure out how to make this work. And that's why I have green towel over a, gosh, 16 years later? <laughs> Oof. Wow. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, it's been that long. Oof. I mean, we've been doing the <laughs> podcast. It'll be 11 this April. This Woo-hoo. April, our podcast will be 11. So. I guess I'll toss in for, for me, paint schemes, like you said, I, I leaned in on favorite color and the Votons the first time I'm actually going with, well, I guess custodes are gold. So I kept right. them gold, but then the Votons the first time I've really said picked a faction within and then painted them to Ymir. And in a way that was kind of refresh, refreshing because I didn't have to make a decision. I mean, the only air quote decisions I have to make is, okay, find the, the picture of it. Okay. Now I've got my template to go off of. But, um, yeah, other than that, like with my sisters, it's, I, I tried to incorporate the, I did it like kind of like Rob, just the, the off white with gold and purple. And that seems to be the, my three color scheme that I'll rotate in. Cause even the custodes are gold with purple and a little bit of off white. And so. As for the second part of that, though, I, I've got a bad example and a good example, sort of. Uh, the good example is Eldar. Cause aspect warriors, you can just paint them however, and they'll all look individually different from everything else in your army. So that's a way to get different paint schemes within the same army. The bad example is back when we were first starting this game, Robin, in college. Um, yeah, my first Space Marines I ever painted were purple because that was my favorite color. And then I got the idea of I'll make an NFL themed army. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, so the, these were going to be my, my, my Viking squad. And then I got Devastators, which I painted, um, black and yellow. And that was my steel 
Steeler squad because they were my defensive line. Um, and then my, I had a beak. I had, there was one beak headed character I had because I love the beak helmet. And so I, I painted him in red and white and named him Commander Marty. So, um, one of the other Space Marine players said, if you keep this up, I'm going to call you out of Codex because, because you, you got to stick to one. I'm like, but I like having each squad be a different thing. And maybe that's kind of why Eldar then also called out to me because each squad, if you do aspect warriors, is a different thing. <laughs> well, and also that's why you like Death Watch so much now. You, you could have every yeah. Marine's a little bit different. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, that is true. I, I don't yeah. like their rules as much right now, but I definitely enjoy collecting and painting them. Yeah, I think as far as like combining like different paint schemes in the same army, you probably get the best results if you have at least like a secondary color in common mm. throughout like the whole army. So like if you were doing like the Space Marine like NFL thing, like you could actually like make sure that you go through and you you could do like the base armor like in different colors per unit. But then make sure that all of your like secondary and and third colors are are actually like uniform throughout. Like you could use you know the same kind of like browns, blacks, or or maybe like a white trim color or something. Because like most NFL teams have like a white on their uniform somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's true. Me in college didn't think that far (laughs) (laughs) right so so just some way to harmonize them together without them all just actually being exactly the same but not also completely different well and i remember like the the people we were playing with in college i think kind of came from maybe a background of like historical war gaming where yes being fluff appropriate was very very serious business (laughs) and important and that is not why are we not not where you were going at all. So no. So I mean, for me, I picked a couple of different custom. Like my Tau has a custom paint scheme, and and my Necrons. Once I actually get around to painting them, will have a custom paint scheme. Yeah, it's it's just trying to find you know what works on the models, what's easy to paint, what's replicable. You know, the one thing that I've done with like as far as the two paint schemes, the only thing I've really done is like in my Tau army. Um, it's mostly green and white, but like some of the, uh, elite units or something like the big crisis suits are mostly white with green. Um, and I basically just have like flipped the, flip the colors on them. And I think that works pretty well because it's kind of like what Richard was saying. It keeps, you know, like it ties them together. Like they're still very clearly the same force, even if they look different because they've got the same colors, just in different, just in different patterns, different ways. Yeah, I've done this something similar with my towel where it's like I used the red as like the sept markings and I decided like as characters went up in rank, yeah, there's more red and less green. And then that kind of allows me to transition over to like, hey, if I want to bring in Farsight stuff, that's all red and it can work, you know, work just fine. Because and like what my f- army for the fr- LVO friendly in 2020 was like one half was like shadow sun and i had all those painted in green and and then i had the other half was the eight and so Mm -hmm. i had and so wildly different themes but that's again because i can run those as two very different forces um so not really 
as much of the idea of like two very different paint schemes. But yeah, no, I agree. Like having having some sort of consistent secondary color to tie it all together get, gives you room to have a lot of variation without having just like these two very clashing paint schemes together on the table. Yeah. So hopefully, Chris, that gives you uh, you know ideas on how to go about picking a paint scheme and how we've how we've done it in our in our hobby history. Uh, last letter is from Elliot Shiotani, and Elliot writes, "Hello again. Thanks for always putting out great content. You're welcome, Elliot. I, it's not always great, but we do our best. <laughs> uh, the weeks where I have a new episode to listen to on my commute are actively better than the ones I don't. Uh, my question this week is: If any of you have pet models that you always try to fit into your lists, despite them being less than competitive, for me." It's the Corvus Black Star. I think it's one of, <laughs> if not the best looking flyers in the game. Unfortunately, it doesn't do a ton on the table, but that doesn't stop me from jamming it in every Death Watch list I can. Thanks as always, Elliot. <laughs> Isn't this how everyone plays the game? <laughs> no, <laughs> you'd be surprised. Uh, uh, Corvus Black Star is an amazing vehicle. I love it. it I mean, that's cool. one of the yeah, cool reasons model. I got into Death Watch was that vehicle because it was just so awesome looking. I guess for me, the only one that I always try to plug in there is um, Jane's Are and the Banshees. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. they're competitive right now. So that, but when they weren't competitive, I was still trying to use them. Is that your band name now, Jane's Are yeah, and the Banshees? Jane's Are and the Banshees. Yeah. <laughs> Move over, Noise Marines and Golf Rocker. It's Jane's Are and the Banshees. <laughs> uh. I think for me, it's uh, it's special characters. When I'm making a World Eaters army, I always try to include Karn. When I'm making a Death Guard army, I always try to include Typhus. You know, I try to include Trajan in a in a Custodes army if I can. I try to you know, I try to put Farsight or yeah, obviously it's a little bit different with a little bit more difficult with the custom sept, but try to put Farsight or Shadow Sun in in like my Tau army when I can. So. You know, at various times, those are good models. You know, those are good units to times where they're bad, but I like the special characters. I like, you know, I like having the unique abilities that they provide. So I usually try to put them into a list if that's the theme I'm going for. Yeah, I think I try to fit in, um, like, kind of special characters the same way. Like, I always want to have Lucius in an Emperor's Children list. Um, Typhus, I can go back and forth on i do really like including him i like using mortarian whenever i can although mortarian is good mm. so that's not necessarily like a whether it's competitive or not i think the one for me though i love using my town art whenever i can i mean <laughs> the town art it's just one of those models like it is so stupidly fun to run um it always gets a lot of attention and people are always like more often than not people are like, Oh God, how can I possibly beat that? And it's like, Oh, don't worry. It's, it's a lot easier than you probably think. And, uh, <laughs> I, it's, it's one of those, it's a feast or famine choice. Cause it's either awesome and completely obliterates the enemy or it dies turn two because every, like everything yeah. targets it. And it's not as resilient as you might think. So, 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 so Kevin, that's how you focus fire. Sure. How do I how do I kill that thing? Much easier than you're thinking. <laughs> much easier. <laughs> much much easier. Yes. Yeah, I was trying to think of other factions, but that's Jane Zar is the only I guess pet character that I always try to include. 
Yeah, I Richard, I had yeah. I I had some of the old like orc characters that that I converted up that they never had actual models for and since they didn't have actual models like now they don't exist anymore so it's they they just get to be a model in my army anyway so <laughs> they just don't have fancy rules <laughs> that actually that actually reminds me um you uh several years ago now you you made a custom berserker for me with like a lightning claw hand oh using yeah. like mm-hmm. uh, I, I, like talons or whatever Super cool model. And I'm like, I'm always going to put this in my army and like give a character, give a berserker a lightning claw, like champion of lightning claw, just because I can't because I like this model. I want to include it and I can't do that anymore. Haven't been able to do that for a little while, but, <laughs> but that when I could, that was always a model. Like I always made sure that I put that model in there. And even if I'm, even at times where it's like, no, power fist is much better. No, I'm going to use this model because this model looks cool. <laughs> and now you can't. Womp womp. Yeah. Womp womp womp. And so, Elliot, yeah, those are our favorite models for uh, trying to squeeze into an army whenever we possibly can, even whether it's a good decision or not. Uh, so hopefully that answers your question. And if you have a question you would like us to read on the air, whether it's a comment on a previous episode or you want our input or feedback or just have something you want to say, uh, there are three good ways to do that. First is you can email us. You can email us at basically our first names at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com or our first names, one word at preferredenemies.com. Uh, second is Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash preferredenemies. You can like us there, follow us and uh, uh, keep tabs on what we're working on when episodes are coming out, etc. Third is on Mastodon. We are at Mastodon. We are at uh, warhammer.social slash at preferred enemies. A little unwieldy, but that's just how Mastodon URLs are. Uh, uh, There's a link to it on our on our website, uh, it, you can like us there on any of those th- three, or send us a message on any of those three methods, and we will get those together, put them in the hopper, and get through as many as we can. And an episode hopper is empty, so uh, if you want to get your letter read on the air, now is a great time to do that. Also, if you want to support the show, you can help us out by supporting us on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash preferred enemies. We basically use our Patreon as a uh, online tip jar. Uh, we use it to help pay for our hosting and our our uh, recording service. But of course, if you have the means to help, we do ask that you uh, look for uh, causes in your area that could use your funds and resources first. But if after that, you do still want to help support the show, uh, even if it's just a dollar a month, enough people put in a dollar and it helps basically keep this show income neutral so that uh, this show is basically completely paid for and supported by you, the listeners. And we really do appreciate that. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification, and when we come back, we'll be talking about our main topic, which is our look at eight things you need to know about the new World Eaters Codex. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, 
or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. Their professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our main topic, which is our look at eight things you need to know about the new World Eaters Codex. Now, uh, again, as we said earlier, we picked eight because eight is the magic number for Korn, the chaos god of wanton violence and slaughter. And uh, that is very much what the World Eaters are all about. And I will say I really appreciated the uh, the fluff section of this book, and we do always try to do a, mm-hmm. a kind of an overview of the the lore behind a particular army. And I gotta say, they really kind of drove home the point about <laughs> how tragic this army is, like from the get go. Yeah, because like you have all like. You you have a Primarch who's already genetically predisposed to violence, given the fact that his legion, before Angron was even found by by the Emperor during the Great Crusade, they were already known as, like, the most violent legion. Like, they, it was just already kind of baked into their genes. But Angron mm-hmm. himself lands on a planet where he, he – despite the fact that he is a Primarch, like, he he is – like the epitome of humanity still gets captured and enslaved and turned into a, a gladiatorial fighter and is given psychosurgery to drive these things into his brain called the butcher's nails, which basically push him to violence by basically, if I remember right, linking like the pleasure centers of his brain to yeah. his drives for violence. And he is driven to fight and kill, but he's able, like, he connects with the gladiators around him, and eventually they do, like, a Spartacus-style slave uprising. And it does not go well for them, but, like, they are kind of on their last legs. They are about to go down in, in bloody but valiant defeat, and the night before, that's when the Emperor shows up 
and goes to meet his, his son, Angron, and Angron's like, I don't know who you are, I don't care, these are my brothers, I'm going to fight and die with them. And the Emperor decides, well, I'm not going to lose a son when I've just found him, so without Angron's permission, teleports him out right before the battle starts. Yeah. And all Angron can do is watch through picked screens and see his brothers die, and he is not pleased about this. Um, angry he, even. He is a, he, very angry. <laughs> and uh, so he does not love his father at all. He is put in charge of of the, you know, the legion that he is genetically related to. And he decides that because he and his gladiatorial fighters were considered the eaters of cities, he's going to name this group the eaters of worlds. He does not like them, though. They try to approach him. They try to talk with him. They want to – because he is genetically their father and he hates them too. And it isn't until Karn, who is basically his executive officer, is able to talk him down and get him to relax and get him to kind of reluctantly lead this legion. And again, they cut a bloody swath through the galaxy as part of the Great Crusade. And then when Horus is ready to to go traitor – he reaches out to his other brothers and Angron's like first in line. He's like, I don't like the emperor anyway. Let's kill him. <laughs> I'm tired yeah. of him. Uh, and so uh, during that process, Lorgar, the uh, primarch of the word bearers, pulls a ritual and basically Angron becomes the first uh, demon primarch as he basically goes full in on corn at that point. And uh, that is actually covered in a really good book called, called Betrayer. By Aaron Dembski Bowden, uh, so I definitely recommend that read because it has it. It features both uh, Karn and Angron in it, and you like that's the book where like you find out how like Ang or how Karn gets uh, Gorechild because at that point mm-hmm. uh, he's like Angron has been fighting with Gorefather and Gorechild, and Gorechild basically loses teeth. Because he's just so hard on his weapons, and and this is repeatedly mentioned, in, like that Angron doesn't care about his weapons. He it's like the way yeah. he treats his legion. He doesn't care about them. They are tools to be used until they're no longer useful, and you cast them aside. Cast them aside. So he cast aside Gorechild, and Karn's like, no, wait, this is our Primarch's weapon. I if he's not going to use it, I'll use it. And like, there's a whole section of the book where he's like having people like find me all the Mica Dragon teeth for this thing because I need to be able to restore <laughs> right. it. But yeah, eventually, uh, also to be even before he becomes a demon primarch, to become like their father, the world eaters are like, you know what? He's got this psycho surgery, the butcher's nails. We should do that too. Yeah. And so they start having the butcher's nails implanted in their brains, and it slowly drives them all insane. I I will say this. I I I think the Chaos books and I've mentioned I think we've mentioned this with the Death Guard Thousand Sons in the previous Chaos Marine book, but the expansion of the Horus Heresy game system model line and books really adds a lot of like a lot more to these codexes. It it adds to like other areas as well, but I think for where Chaos is where it really shines where it's like no, we can dig into this lore that we've done in these books and you know the tragedy of their fall and and you know really kind of flesh them out because initially, you know, for the longest time world leaders were just ah they like killing 
And like now you're able to like actually dig into the Primarch and and the the tenure of the Legion and like actually explain how this happened. Uh, and it just makes the it makes the fluff sections in the book a lot a lot better. Yeah, and and it really like the the tragedy of the world eaters is that like all Angron wanted to be was free. He didn't want to be a slave yep. anymore. And if that meant dying, that he would be free in death. The emperor took him away from that and basically made him in the way he felt a slave to the Imperium and a weapon to be used. And he didn't want that. He wanted to be free. And now he's enslaved to corn. And he hates that yeah. too. He hates yeah. everything. And the worst part is all he wants now is the sweet release of death, which is why he throws himself into combat because he hates the universe and he wants it to die. And he can't even do that because he comes back every time he gets killed. Yeah. So, like they that and we'll we'll talk about the fluff of the uh art the next arcs of omen book in our next episode. Yeah. But it, it's covered there too. All Angron wants to do is die. That's all he really wants to do, and he hates everything for not letting him do it. And all his. All his legion wanted to do was be like him. They looked up to him. They revered him. And so and they even talk about in the like in the book or like in the codex, they talk about like Karn. Karn has these moments of like clear lucidity. He's actually when he's not in full battle rage, he's actually very calm, very well spoken, a good strat like a, a good strategician. Um Angron is a Primarch. He's still good at strategy, even though it's just pure fury. It's still like somehow controlled. Like there are these people are kind of trapped in their own brains because the butcher's mm -hmm. nails are always just throbbing and driving them to violence. There's a, a short story. It's like a two page short story of a world eater fighting his way through, I think, an, either a warlord or an imperator titan. And <laughs> like, he blacks out or like reds out basically at certain points and he'll come back to, and he doesn't know how he got here, but he's covered in other people's blood and he's in a different part of the Titan as he's fighting through and he keeps dot, you know, keeps fighting and keeps fighting. And finally he works his way up to the cockpit and he's killed the, the princeps of the Titan. He's killed the crew. And it's like, well, there's only one more head I've got to take. And he cuts the head loose like he cuts the last cables connecting the head to the body of the Titan and he's still in the head because he wants to fall <laughs> and die. That's, that's, yeah. which is why corn does, why, you know, the whole thing corn cares not that from whence the blood flows. Corn doesn't care. He just wants death and skulls and the world eaters will throw themselves into it. And there's even a section of like warrior sages in the, in the, uh, world eaters who have reached this point of like, lucidity and understanding of pure nihilism like they just don't care mm -hmm. anymore and it's so it's like i i yeah like you said it's like they were this cartoony like parody of violence for so long and now as you realize oh god no it sucks to be a world eater it absolutely sucks yeah it's so much worse <laughs> Well, and I think it's very interesting, and obviously we're not going to get into it today, but I think the Arcs of Omen books do a really good job of bringing them, like, explaining why they're back as, like, a faction. Because after, you know, the whole thing with Carl and the Betrayer on, uh, uh, whatever that planet is called, Scatrax, whatever. Scalothrax. Um, Scalothrax. Um, where, like, he basically 
just went nuts and just started killing everybody. And like the Legion broke up and then it just became like scattered war bands. So there really wasn't a way to fluff wise play the codex because like, well, it's not really an army. Uh, but now like with the Orcs of Omen stuff, like they're, you know, Abaddon is giving Angron like tasks to do. And Angron is like calling people to his banner and they're showing up because yeah, I may not like this guy because you know, he's tried to kill me in the past, but like he is still, he is still the Primarch. So, like, it's kind of interesting to see, like, the army get reformed uh, in the fluff books and in the, the fluff of this. And, like, I think it's a neat design choice of, like, we're going to release this narrative book that, like, kind of explains why this faction even exists currently. So, I, I think that was neat. I thought that was really cool how they, they tied those together. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I really like how they're, they've kind of pulled this together. And especially after, like, the whole thing with Scalithrax and why Karn is called Karn the Betrayer. Is because at some point, even the world eater, the world eaters were facing off with the emperor's children, uh, fighting over a particular world in the Eye of Terror, and it was so cold on this world that even the the world eaters were like, "Nah, we can't go fight in this. We'll we'll freeze to death. We shouldn't go fight." <laughs> and so Karn finally goes, "Screw it! I'm setting all your tents on fire, <laughs> and I'm just going to start fighting people until you get mad and start fighting." and it worked, but it also completely fractured a legion which had already basically been abandoned by their Primarch at that point. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, it's like, Angron, it's not that he actively puts out the call, it's just that other world leaders flock to him, and he yeah. hates it. <laughs> he hates him because he hates right. everything. Sure. But, like, I just think it's very interesting that, like, now they've kind of built in an excuse as to why this, why this faction, like, exists the way it does now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, well, it's... It's one of those things where I, I have some frustrations with this book that we'll get into, but like now from a narrative perspective, it does actually make sense why they chose to limit some of the things and and put just certain units in this uh, because it is, you know, a, a faction that's kind of reforming uh, and rallying around a couple people that don't really want them there. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, but so now that we have a setting of like who these you know who this faction is they are they are fighters that fight with berserk fury for corn that's what they do let's talk about how the rules have reflected that in this newest iteration of the world eaters because this is the first time they've been uh, like apart from like the classic like fourth edition. Chaos Marine Codex, where they had like, or was it three point five or four, where they had like 3. all 5. the uh, three point five Codex, yeah. where it's like there was a a separate page with like all these custom rules for playing World Eaters. Because the yeah, because the uh, fourth edition uh, Chaos Codex uh, as went the complete opposite route and didn't even have like didn't even have like uh, uh, demons. Like you had an entry for demons, and then you're like, I just use the demon models you want, but they have the stat line. They're all generic. Uh, the, yeah, yeah. The fourth edition codex went hard the opposite way. <laughs> yeah, very much so. But yeah, three point five had like, like you could basically spell spelled out playing world eaters as a very separate kind of army. I think this is the first time since then that like this is the first time they've been spun off into their own book, really. And yeah. they they did have some rules in the very 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 short lived Trader Legions book um, mm-hmm. that came out. At the end of seventh, but that was literally for like six months. So yeah, and we'll they've, see they've if never trends- really had full army rules, <laughs> and we'll see if trends continue depending on what happens with tenth edition. But <sighs> if they put corn in the sisters' chair for editions, I'm going to be very frustrated. <laughs> <laughs> 
New Sisters but, book. Well, new edition. Yeah. He's going to make you angry. <laughs> but, uh, but yes. Um, so, so, so how is this reflected? Well, I think the first thing we need to talk about the core mechanic of this army, because this, I, I'm just going to say this, this isn't even a bullet point. This is not an army about finesse. <laughs> this is, this is not. No. <laughs> this is not. <laughs> but, uh, how do we reflect how this army really functions on the battlefield? And we are going to dig back to a previous iteration of something like this, of the Corn Demonkin army, because our point number one is blood tithe points are back. Now, back, uh, if you if you were not playing at the time that Corn Demonkin was a thing, Corn Demonkin was the first and sadly only iteration we saw of a fusion army between Chaos Space Marines and Chaos Demons as like one cohesive force. And we haven't seen anything like it since. But one of the things that made it work is I had this idea called the blood tithe, which meant every time an enemy unit was destroyed, you earned a blood tithe point and your blood tithe points could be spent to get you effects. And I think in the corn demon can codex, they were like abilities until the end of the turn. It was like for this turn, you get yeah. to do this, or you can summon in these models or stuff like that. Yeah. So the world leaders blood tithe has, Something slightly different. Uh, so if every unit from your army ha has the world leader's keyword, which means if you splash in, uh, corn berserkers into like a black legion army, they lose this. They do not have access to this. Yeah. But if every unit in your army has the world leader's keyword, uh, not counting agents of chaos, so you can have Abaddon in this army, but not the other way around, uh, uh, you gain blood tithe points over the course of the battle, and every time you kill a unit, or every, not every time you kill it, every time a unit is destroyed, whether you kill it or not, because remember, corn doesn't care from where the blood flows, every time a unit's destroyed, you gain a blood tithe point. Every time a character, or if any character's models or vehicles were destroyed in the phase, you get a blood tithe point. So note, that is not per character model or vehicle, you've already gotten the one for that unit being destroyed, but if at any point during a particular phase, anything that was killed was either a character, monster, or vehicle, you get an additional blood tithe point. And at the end of each phase, if any Titanic models were destroyed, you gain an additional blood tithe point. So the most you can get is one per each unit plus two extra. If you killed, like, if you killed a Imperial Knight, that's worth three because it is a vehicle, it is Titanic. And you destroyed a unit. If you destroyed two Imperial Knights, you will get four because you don't get the doubles, the extras for yeah, vehicle and Titanic. Now, at the end of each phase, after you gain blood tithe points, and these do not go away at the end of the turn, you just accumulate them through the game. So, uh, this is, this is not a, it's not like mirror, like, well, it's, it's kind of like Miracle Dice in that, that you just build them up. Yeah. But it's not like, uh, the fate dice for Eldar where they reset every turn. So, at the end of each phase, after you gain any blood tithe points, you can spend them to get what a blessing of the blood god. And, uh, you can only buy one a phase, but the best thing about these is they last till the end of the game. Yeah. And I think all of them are good for... Well, yes. <laughs> they all last until the end of the game, with one exception. But, uh, 
like going at, like they range anywhere from two to six blood tithe points, which depending on what you're fighting against, you can accumulate those pretty quickly. And I think it does mm-hmm. encourage you to play a multiple small unit style of uh, world eaters, like small units of berserkers, small units of jackals, stuff like that, to maximize yeah. how many you can get out of it when your stuff dies. So, like, for two points, uh, you can shake off mortal wounds on a five up. Uh, for uh, four points, you can improve all your armor penetration by one with melee attacks. And this affects world eaters models. So, everything that has the world eaters keyword, including Angron, by the way. So, he benefits from all these as well. For three, you can increase all your charge rolls by one. For five, uh, you can score additional hits on hits of six. Uh, f- uh, also for five, you can add one to attack hit rolls. For four, you can shake off any wound on a six up. And for another, for six points, um, your unmodified hit rolls of six automatically wound. Which also means if you compare that, if you combine that total carnage one, that last one with the martial excellence, which gives you the extra hit on sixes, that means that's two wounds you're automatically causing. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, they – and again, once this is on, you get this for the rest of the game. So, like, first turn, if you lose a couple of – like, let's say your opponent alpha strikes you and you lose, like, two or three units. That's – Not the that's end of the world. Blood. Yeah. No, it's not because suddenly your army gets better at doing yeah. what it does. And then finally, we mentioned there was one that you can't – that you can use – or that does not last till the end of the game. We're going to talk about that one in a little bit, uh, but because it's tied to a particular model. But yeah, this is a really neat implementation of the blood tithe points. I think. Yeah. Well, and, and the way it worked. I mean, obviously, I've not played with this yet, but the way it worked with Corn Demonkin is it it let you play with that reckless abandon because you're like, oh. Yeah, I don't care if I lose models because I'm going to get better and I'm going to get buffs from it. And like this is exactly the same way. And this is this is the only way that I've seen. I think it's not the only way. This is one of the best ways that I've seen to make like a melee army really work in the current editions of 40k because you're you're just, you know, yeah, if you get shot off the table, if you go, you know, if you go second and get shot up, you know, get shot up for turn 1, you get a benefit. If you have, you go turn one, you know, you go top of one and you can't make your charges, you still get some benefits because, yeah, they're still probably going to shoot you up. And it's like, it's not the worst thing in the world to like be having to slog across the table Um, or like, oh no, I got my rhino got popped. Okay, fine. Okay. I guess I'll just take the blood tithe points. Um, You know, so it really, it really mitigates some of the things that are going to happen anyway in the army, you know, in the army and over the course of the game. And really gives you some benefits to it. So I, I do, I do really like this system and I'm glad it's back. Mm-hmm. And I do like that it's also like phases where it's like, yeah, if one of your vehicles gets sh- like shot up, like if one of your units gets shot up in the shooting phase, but in the fight phase, you like take down something of theirs, like you can get like the vehicle points or the character points multiple times a turn because it's per phase. Mm-hmm. And then the, the blood tithe points are like you just get points whenever. So like somebody like kills one of your units with mo- uh, mortal wounds in the psychic phase, you get a blood tithe point. You know, it's like they shoot up one of your units, you get another blood tithe point. You get 
they they pop one of your rhinos in assault. They, you get two blood tithe points because it's a rhino, and it was a vehicle that phase. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a really good implementation of this. So, yeah, I, it, it, it rewards reckless abandon, which is exactly how this army should play. So, yeah, I completely yeah. agree with you. Also completely determining how this army is going to play is our number two point. There are only two sub-factions, and they build and play differently. And actually, I've seen the second one compared more to an army of renown than an actual sub-faction. Yeah. And I think that is also a, a fit comparison. I think that's perfectly fair, yeah. <clears throat> right. So when you build your army, you choose one of two things. You choose to either play world eaters or you choose to play dis- you choose to play disciples of the red angel. Now if you pick world eaters, you're just playing this book. I mean that you are using this book, all the units in it, all the rules in it, and you get a legion trait uh which is basically the old furious charge. You anytime you charge, were charged or heroically intervened, you get plus 1 strength and plus 1 attack for every model in that unit. Which is great because you are fighty and you want to do that and you want to be running at people and fighting. You don't want to get stuck in, you want to kill and move on. Yep. Um you get a set of three relics to choose from and three warlord traits to choose. And I found it interesting. There is no random rolling for warlord traits in this book. You just pick one, so, which yeah. makes me wonder if we are moving away from that in the upcoming, like between this and the guard codex, we're seeing some interesting experiments with army design. I, we haven't seen it. We're not seeing a consistent style yet. So I'm not quite sure where they're going for or This is kind of experimenting. Yeah. You also get a set of eight stratagems, uh, and if you are playing World Eaters, these are the only eight stratagems you get. There's no list of generics and then more that you get for playing World Eaters. You have eight to keep track of, which I think – I mean, this even pairs you down from where you were if you were using the White Dwarf Codex, because I know they had a stack of like eight or so in there, but that was in addition to all the other Chaos Space Marine ones. No, you have eight, which is way easier to manage for sure. Yeah, I mean, you'll have 12 because there's like the three or four generic ones. Right, right. Just apply to everybody. But yeah, no, like, I agree that like, no, like you, you get just these eight. They're all good. They're all focused on a specific thing. And like, they're all situational. So like, it's a lot less to juggle. There's a lot less gotcha here, which I like. Right. Yeah. And also something to note, there are no extra warlord trait or relic stratagems in here. It's like everything here is focused on combat, and then there's like a like smoke screen is a gen, kind of a quasi generic one for your rhinos with smoke launchers. It's like so really there's seven world leaders focused ones in here. It's like yeah. there's red butchers which allows your terminators and eight bound to do extra damage. Um, gory dismemberment lets your core or character units. Cause mortal wounds when they do unmodified wound rolls of six. Um, Skulls for the Skull Throne earns you extra blood tithe points if your warlord kill, or if an enemy warlord is killed by one of your characters. Uh, Scorn of Sorcery is a classic. It allows you to deny psychic powers on a four up. Blood Frenzy lets your units fight when they die in in close combat, which again very very cornate. Um, aggressive mm-hmm. intervention allows your core, your berserker units effectively to, and, or like anything that you have that's core, to heroically intervene six inches as if it were a character. And then Icon of Wrath allows you to uh, 
roll three and take the two highest for uh, charge rolls. So all very much about getting into combat, sticking into combat, doing more damage, very mm-hmm. on brand for world eaters. The other build you can take, if you decide to to take this second faction, Disciples of the Red Angel, um, your army building very much changes. You must have Angron. He is the Red Angel. That's one of his sobriquets. You must take Angron. Your army can only include Corn Demon units and World Eater Land Raiders. World Eaters Land Raiders. Like, which really cuts down what you can take in this book. There's yeah. <laughs> a, a lot. Uh, but also, if you take eight bound, which we will talk about in a little bit later, uh, they gain objective secured. That's important because you have no troops options. If you take Disciples of the Red Angel, there are no demon troops. Apart from if you take a chaos demon, like patrol detachment, and bring in like blood letters. Because you can take those in this army because they, they won't be part of the same detachment. But also, if you take that, you lose Blood Tithe. So you don't want to do that. Or no, right. they gain Agent of Chaos. I take that back. They gain Agent of Chaos if you take if you take him as a patrol. So I think you're fine. Because I think they specifically say if you take, like, Corn Demons with a Corn, like a World Eaters detachment, you don't lose access to your faction rules with Demons. So I think you're fine. I believe that's, yeah, I believe that's the case. Yeah. Uh, your legion trait is the same. You still have relentless rage, which tells me they could have made that just a generic army rule and not a <laughs> tied to the fat subfaction. But whatever, you get three different relics. You get three different warlord traits, and you get eight different detachments. Or uh, sorry, you get eight different stratagems, which are all completely focused on um, demon engines, eight bound. Or just getting into combat, even like, let's see, because there's gratuitous bloodletting, which uh, allows you to do extra, like your wound rolls get better if you're fighting something that's at half strength. Uh, Blood scent, uh, basically, anytime somebody falls back from one of your eight bound, your eight bound can try to consolidate up into them as soon as they fall back. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> uh, Furious Surge lets you lets your eight bound um, move if they lost any any models to a shooting attack. Uh, Diabolic Machines allows your uh, machine spirit or demon engine units to act at, as though they were full wounds, which is great because one of your units you can take is a Lord of Skulls. So <laughs> that also would cover things like Defilers. Um, Defilers and Mauler Fiends, things like that. Mm-hmm. Apoplectic Frenzy uh, lets your World Eaters advance six inches instead of rolling. Violent Dismemberment, um, when you destroy an enemy unit until the end of the turn, your unit gains a six-inch aura of enemy units lose two leadership and one from their combat attrition tests, which stacks with the things that Eight Bound already do, so we'll t- talk about that. Uh, terrifying assault, uh, when you chart, when, when your world eaters charges, the enemy unit can't, uh, set for defense, set to defend or fire overwatch and rolls one less when they've hit back. And, uh, bloodthirsty determination, you ignore, uh, modifiers to charge rolls. So, Disciples of Red Angels is all about getting up there and messing with people. Yeah. 
Getting um, so yeah, and going modifiers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, these two armies are going to play very differently. Uh, Red, Red Angel, because you you lose a lot of options for army building. Well, I say you lose a lot. You lose some options, because there's not a lot of options. I'll be getting to that. But mm-hmm. but you have different stratagems, different relics, different warlord traits. Um, you are going to just be a very different beast. And what I also think is interesting is... Um, Unlike past codexes, which, uh, where like Angron would have like a, as a Primarch would have like here's three Warlord traits you're gonna have, like Angron doesn't get the Warlord traits from either of these two groups. He has his own Warlord trait that he gets. Yep. So I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, departure from the the past Demon Primar- Primarchs we have. So, um. I'm curious to see which one of these is going to be is going to prove to be the uh, the most played because I will say eight bound are some good and we'll get to that in a bit. Yeah. So there's definitely a case to be made for playing disciples of the red angel, but uh, if you want to have a little bit more flexibility in, in what you build, world eaters is fine. Like the, both of them are good, but they do different things. In even though they're both you know, really nasty melee armies, they're going to go about it slightly differently. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, moving on to point number three. We were just talking about Angron, so let's get into it. Ang number three, Angron is a combat beast. I mean... Yes, he is. <laughs> uh, so, like his, other, like his other Demon Primarch brothers, he has 18 wounds. Unlike them, he has a 2-up, 4-up instead of a 3-up, 4-up. So he is a little bit more resilient, although he doesn't have the equivalent of, like, Mortarians disgustingly resilient. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, he's a fast boy. He moves 16 inches, and he can fly. Uh, strength 9... Tough seven, 12 attacks base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, we'll get into the, we'll get into that, but yeah, 12, 12 yeah. attacks base. Yeah, weapon skill two, ballistic skill two, although the ballistic skill two is kind of wasted as he has no ranged attacks whatsoever, because that's not how he rolls. He rolls into you and, and just murders you. Well, uh, if you ever decide to put him on an Aegis defense, defense line, he's really yeah. good at shooting down flyers. Ah, no, the new Aegis defense lines don't come with guns. Oh, fair enough. What? But still. It's lame. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, so not only does he have 12 attacks base, um, he comes paired with, uh, Samnarius, or, yeah, Samnarius and Spine Grinder, which are his sword and, uh, his sword and uh, axe. Um, but they count as one weapon. You don't choose which one to use, but you choose which mode you want to fight in. If you decide you want to just go with the 12 swings but hit hard, he becomes strength 14, AP minus 4, D3 plus 3 damage. Oof. Or if you want to, uh, clear out hordes um the blood sledding sweep keeps him at his current strength of nine which means he's wounding most infantry on twos ap minus three one damage but three hit rolls instead of one so that's 36 swings at weapon skill two strength nine so so two quick things uh the background on uh samnieris his sword is uh he literally beat a keeper of secrets to death with an iron bar and then trapped the soul of the keeper of secrets into it, and it forged it into, and like that formed it into a sword. So, again, the lack of subtlety in this army is is fully on display, right? 
I honestly don't know if I would ever use the skull taking slash because even if you're fighting, like, say, an Imperial Knight at strength nine or 10 on the charge with 36, uh, sorry, uh, 39 attacks, even at only one damage each and at strength 10, so you're hitting on fours, you're still going to destroy that knight much faster than you would by taking the other one. Like, the weight of attacks, I just don't know why you would ever go the other route, unless there's, like, something... Unless you're fighting... I don't know, like, even... And, like, unless you're fighting another Primarch, but even then, I still think I would want the weight of attacks, because the, the D3 plus 3 damage, like, I don't think you're gonna make it up. Like, I don't... It just seems like... It just seems like that's... Well, the, the extra attacks you get are so much better. Well, let's see, because with 12 attacks... You, the damage output, the total damage output is higher because you, okay, so you 13 attacks mm. on the charge, you're you're hitting at strength 15 on the charge, which yeah. is still not, a, you're still only going to be winning like a knight on a three because you don't yeah. quite get to that, that 16, which, although you will eventually get points that will, like, if you get, um, Blood tithe oh, points will, will up your strength, and yeah. No, there, there's it, there's ways to get there, but... Yeah. I don't know. I still think I would probably just rather go with 39 attacks. <laughs> Let's see, 39... Well, the thing is, 39 attacks, the max damage you could do is 39, whereas, like, let's say with the... With rolling a D3 plus 3, on average, you're you're looking at 5 damage per swing, so 13 times 5 i mean you're talking 65 dam like the damage output is higher but it is yeah. also massive over it just depends on what you're fighting and <laughs> it's also yeah. it, it, the ap's a little bit better if that comes into play cuz ap minus 4 well you know i mean on on most things, so uh, on on a lot of big things, you're going to be hitting invuln saves. So you, so right. really, the AP kind of doesn't matter. Um, right. But like in the example of like say you're you're attacking a knight, it's a six up versus not getting a save. So like yeah, I don't know. I think I would rather just take the extra attacks because at with 39 attacks two up, you're going to hit with 30 of them. You're going to wound with. You know, well, actually, probably gonna hit with more than thirty of them. Um, you're gonna hit with like thirty-five of them. You're gonna wound with half, and then it's a six-up armor save. So, like, either way, you're what killing it? a knight in oh, one no. go. <laughs> what against a knight? No, you're gonna wound with your strength ten. You're gonna be wounding on threes, so you'll wound with two thirds. Oh, so, them. yeah, so you're you're doing you're killing a knight. You're killing a knight in 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 a turn of combat, regardless. But yeah, that's. The weight of attacks is insane. Yeah. Um, other on top of that, he also has the the chapter master style pick a core character within six inches of him. They can reroll all hits. Uh, his warlord trait, as I said, is custom to him. It's built into his data sheet. And if he is your warlord, uh, his warlord trait is, and he has to be your warlord if you take him. Uh, your mm -hmm. warlord trait is uh, enemy units within six inches of him lose objective secured. <laughs> Uh, cool. And then during your command phase, you can choose one of the following, a six-inch aura of plus one attacks to world eaters core units, a, a six-inch aura of world eaters units within 
Yeah, six-inch aura of world eaters units inside that bubble, reroll hit rolls of one, so basically the captain ability, or six inches, uh, enemy units within six inches, or actually any model within six inches of him cannot fall back. So if you are fighting somebody and you need them to stick, or the other units around you need them to stick, you can lock them in with his aura. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he he is an absolute beast. Uh, now, you will say, though, 18 wounds and no way to really mitigate those besides what he gets from blood tithe points. Well, he, he'll, he'll probably die. He's going to be a big-ass target. This is true, but also that final blood tithe ability we didn't tell you about. For six blood tithe points, you can put Angron back, a destroyed Angron back on the field with eight wounds remaining. Yeah. And deep strike him in. And not, not where he was, you can deep strike him in. Uh, and also want to point out, because he is a both a character and a monster, if he dies, he earns you two blood tithe points. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is a good chance you could see him back on the table multiple times, depending on how your army is built. <laughs> so, uh, now granted, at eight wounds remaining, he's in his middle bracket, which, oh no, he only moves 12 inches and has 10 attacks. He's still fine. <laughs> Still, still pretty good. Yeah. Now I will good. say at at the lower brackets, that's definitely an argument to move towards the skull taking slash because you will have fewer for attacks. Sure. And but yeah, uh, for sure. yeah, he's he's still fine. I mean, he's he is fantastic at what he does, and so yeah. like and what he does is take very it, subtle. <laughs> yeah, if you want to take Angron again, he is not a finesse character. You just run him at something you want dead, and he make it happen. And that's that's it. The, uh, no psychic shenanigans, no shooting, nothing. Run, run, and fight. And that is what he very. The so in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, they they the way they describe the Pan Galactic Gargle Blaster, it's like being it's like being hit in the brain with a velvet brick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of what, what Angron is. <laughs> I, except I don't think there's any velvet involved here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, now Angron, however, is not an HQ. He is a Lord of War, as befits a Primarch. You know, he should be a Lord of War. This moves us to the HQ section. And this is going to be our first, like, so far we have said very positive things about this. This is going to be our first point where we say some negative things because Spoilers, it won't be the last. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So HQ section... Feels like it comes up pretty short. That's our number four. And the reason we say this is, first off, you have five HQ choices. Now, I looked at the um, Thousand Suns and Death Guard to get an idea of how this compares. Because I don't want to compare it to Chaos Space Marines because there's a ton of choices there. And some of them are... A lot of them are named characters, so I, you know, yeah. wanted to kind of shy away from that. So I, I especially looked at the Thousand Sons, who are like the polar opposite of this army. And in the Thousand Sons, you have Ariman, who is a, you know comparable to Karn as a named character, who is kind of a special case. And then you have in the Thousand Sons the uh, Infernal Master, who was the new sorcerer that they added, the Exalted Sorcerer, the regular sorcerer, the Sorcerer and Terminator armor, the Thousand Sons Demon Prince, and then that Exalted Sorcerer can also be put on a disc, as can Aramon. So really, you've mm-hmm. got one, two, three, four, five, six options, with two of them even being more flexible yet. This one has five. One of those is Karn, 
One of those is Lord Invocatus, who is the new named juggernaut riding mm-hmm. World Eater's Lord. Who He's pretty good, and he also has a custom Warlord trait, which is actually really good. Um, yeah, you you'll never World use Eater. it, though. <laughs> you have the World Eater's Demon Prince. <laughs> you have the World Eater's Lo- Lord on Juggernaut. And you have the World Eater's Master of Executions. Now that we had a Master of Executions in the Chaos Space Marine book, it was an elite, so he's been upgraded to HQ in this book. Good for him. However, you'll notice I didn't mention a generic World Eater's Lord on foot. I didn't mention a World Eater's Lord on uh, or in Terminator armor. I understand not having sorcerers. I can even understand not necessarily having a Dark Apostle or a Warpsmith or a Lord Discordant. Okay, no, I really or, can't explain why they don't have some of those options. But the like, last exalted champions should be a thing they should have. Like the 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 frustrating part with the Lord and Terminator armor is like they just released <laughs> a special edition corn Lord in Terminator armor that I can't use in this army. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's <sighs> and it's like Karn is. Interesting. I mean, nine attacks base, ten on the charge. He's fighting with an AP minus four D3 or damage, not D3 damage, three damage axe with Gore Child. He's strength six, seven on the charge. So he's getting work done. He's got a two up, four up, which I mean, he's more resilient than he's ever been. Um, His plasma gun doesn't overheat. Yeah, he, he can't. No more shooting yourself in the head with Karn, unfortunately. (laughs) <laughs> um, he has a no, six inch or- he has a six inch lieutenant aura for world yeah. ears core units um, his betrayer rule kind of sucks this time though because he makes I mean, friendly the units same as- with it around him take mortal wounds it's the same as it was in the white dwarf codex though like th- really the only thing that changed from the white dwarf codex to this is they gave him extra attacks and they took away his ability to um, fight twice which I get why they did that, because the fight twice ability was clunky. Um, so, sure, give him an, give him some extra attacks, let him just go once. It simplifies, yeah. it speeds him up, I get it. Yeah, and his Warlord trait gives him D3 extra attacks if he's outnumbered, mm-hmm. like, six to one. Yeah, but again, you'll never use his Warlord trait, because, again, him and, and Vicatus are never going to be your Warlord, it's going to be Angron. Like... I mean, I could see not like if you chose not to take Angron, I could see Lord Invocatus. Yes, like if you yeah, decided, he's a great you didn't, trait. Yeah, but uh, Invocatus uh, has you know he's on a mount, so twelve inches of movement. He's got seven attacks, so he's no slouch. And his the Juggernaut gives him an additional three attacks, so he's really got ten, eleven on the charge. Yeah. His weapon prevents invulnerable saves from being used against it, which is phenomenal. He's also got a two up, four up. He gives uh, world eaters more core units more movement with his aura, which is really good. And then his warlord trait is you select up to two units within nine inches of them. They get to make free moves. I mean, he's phenomenal if you don't take Angron. He will always be second fiddle to Angron if you take Angron. It's like there's no re... Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you choose not to take like Lord Invocatus is, is fine. There's just one problem, and we'll get to that a little bit later with Lord Invocatus, and it's a massive over. It's a massive glaring oversight. 
But yeah, otherwise you have the Demon Prince, a generic Lord on Juggernaut, which, why? Why would you ever take that when you can take Lord Invocatus? <laughs> Unless well, you, because you want to take, well, you can't take two, There's no, you? There's no restriction. There's no okay. restrictions on taking okay, two. The restrictions in this army is you can't take two Demon Princes. So you can you can load you can take Karn Invocatus and Lord uh, World Leader Lord on Juggernaut as your three HQs or whatever like easily like that's so no that there's no restriction on on the the Chaos Lords in this book so like World Leader's Lord on Juggernaut is a great choice he is very good he's fast he hits hard like the, all of the things we said like he's a less version of Invocatus but sure. It's great. He's great. There should also be a foot slogging option. Like that seems very easy to just be like, hey, let's take this same unit entry and change the movement and take away the attacks from the juggernaut. And look, hey, we have a unit you can use. Very frustrated by that. <laughs> yeah, I, and I I understand like with the juggernaut giving the extra attacks, um, but you could even have a world eaters lord data sheet. And and do the like with the exalted sorcerer and say like you can put him on a juggernaut and if he's on a juggernaut yeah. he becomes equipped with the juggernaut's bladed horn he gains the cavalry trait and his movement becomes ten, ta-da like, done. <laughs> well, and here's the thing, and let's let's peel the curtain back a ton a touch here just to to say why this unit's in here and the foot slogging lord isn't. They have a model for a corn lord on a juggernaut. They do not have a model for a generic corn lord. That's why one's in the codex and one isn't. As as frustrating as that is, that's your answer. <laughs> I will say though, the master of executions does not come with a berserker head. He's one that they they kit bashed with a they spare berserker head. So there is no reason why we have a generic chaos lord model on foot. Now, granted, he's armed with a thunder hammer, and you would probably want to arm him with a like a chain glaive or something like that. Mm -hmm. But he's armed with a plasma pistol and a thunder hammer. If you can, somebody can kit bash that to give him a a chain axe, he would be equipped ex identically to the lord on foot. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, the Lord on the Juggernaut. I'm There's not, no reason, none. I'm not they, saying, yeah, I'm not saying it's good justification. I'm just saying that was the business reason behind it. And maybe that means, I, maybe that means at some point in the future there will be a, a Corn Lord model that they're planning on releasing, and you know, then it. But right now, it kind of sucks. <laughs> also, let's point out that the World Eaters Master of Executions was not a good choice in the Chaos Space Marine Codex, and it's still not a good choice here. Uh, it's so not a terrible choice, but it's 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 an inferior choice compared to everything else. Well, I, I will I will say this: um, he hits like a tank because uh, uh, two up weapon skill, six attack, seven on the charge. Um, his axe gives him uh, strength seven, strength eight on the charge, and he does like extra mortal wounds on on hit rolls of sixes, like or uh, yeah, hit rolls of sixes. Um, he is a beast. Like he is absolutely great at killing units, small units, elite infantry, uh, special characters, things like that. Like he does do some work, but yeah, I'd rather have a chaos Lord and I'd rather him still be an elite because in the new arcs of Omen detachment, you can take three of him as, and in the character elite slots and it wouldn't have like filled up your other stuff. Like it's, 
it's like they they decided to change it right at the time they made it easier than ever to field him in the way that he was configured before because like yeah taking taking several chaos lords and then taking three master of executions as single elites would have been awesome and also would have been a great way to cheese the blood type points <laughs> and yet here we are also he has no invulnerable save which means he's going to die super easy Yes, yeah, like, I I get why, like, he kind of fills the role of the the cheaper HQ, and, you know, the, he basically fills the, 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 the Chaos Lord role is in, in the HQ slot here, but, like, yeah, without any of the equipment that you can give him, like, it's not, he's not really worth it, like, he's good at hiding in a unit, for example, a unit of Chosen or a unit of Terminators, and running up and hitting things in melee, but, like, he's not... Yeah, if he if he has to be leading the force by himself, he is going to get ganked every time. I don't know. It's a weird it's a weird choice for an HQ. I don't know why they changed yeah. it. I, I mean, they could have made put in an exalted champion, call him a skull champion, and it would have been fine. Yeah, That's, you know, done. You know, but and and kept him as an elite. Yeah, he could have stayed. Like, yeah. I don't mind him being in the book. I don't. I mind him being an HQ. No, he's when you he's could a have perfect had a Lord fit on for foot. the book. Yeah, he's a perfect fit for the book. It's just. Yeah, I don't know why he's an HQ. Hmm. Moving on, we go to our troops section, and our number five point is two troops choices, and one feels surprisingly vanilla, but not the one you'd think. So you have two, as I said, and one is the Corn Berserkers. You've got to have the Corn Berserkers. It's not a World Eaters army without Corn Berserkers. And they're fine. I mean, strength five, six on the charge, four attacks, five on the charge. Great. I mean, they'll definitely get work done. They actually lost an attack from the White Dwarf book. <laughs> Their chain sword, like the the Berserker chain blade. So now it doesn't matter if you have swords or axes or whatever. They're all the same. Uh, AP minus two. So they're better than Astartes chain swords. But you don't get the extra attack. But I guess that's been rolled into their uh, data sheet. Um, eh, sort of. Uh, in in the white door foot, they had the same thing where they had berserker chain blades, so it wasn't it didn't differentiate between the chain axes, the chain swords, uh, but they had an extra attack, so they actually lose an attack in this book. Uh, um, in and then every one for every five can take any cornate eviscerator instead, which does get them up to strength eight nine on the charge, AP minus four two damage, so that's good, giving them kind of a heavier melee weapon without having yep. any penalty to hit. Very nice, no no complaints there. The bolt he, champ can take a bolt or plasma pistol. Uh, fine, great, cool. Um, they can take an icon. Uh, the icon, when I first read the ability, it seemed really cool, but I also saw pointed out elsewhere that it really isn't because like, so what the icon lets you do, well, let me get into what the unit does and then how the icon ties into that. So the berserkers no longer, I don't think they had this in white dwarf. It's been a while since they had this, but they used to be able to attack twice. Like that was their thing. They, um, yeah. They, they didn't have that in the, yeah, they didn't have that in the white dwarf update. Yeah. But instead now, um, Anytime an enemy unit shoots and kills one of the one or more of the berserkers in the unit, they can immediately make a D6 movement and push for like basically a D6 inch consolidation move towards towards the closest enemy unit, which is mm -hmm. cool. It doesn't count if they were just if they lost any models from uh, when they were like disembarked from a transport or if they're already in engagement range, they can't surge towards somebody else. Um, the one thing is whenever they surge forward, if they were doing action, 
if they were doing actions that the action fails because, hey, you moved while you're performing an action. What the icon lets you do is not fail when the when they surge forward. Instead, the action is automatically completed. That's great. However, in the newest like missions and everything, there's no uh, objectives that or there's no actions that matter that finish at the end of your next command phase. So you'll never actually fail an objective. This will yeah. allow, allow you to do things outside of this season, maybe, or other objectives like opening doors in uh, like boarding actions or something like that. Although again, the boarding action open doors thing happens immediately unless somebody's fighting you on the other side of the door. So it's, it's not that great. But you do you might want to take the icon to use the stratagem to do the uh extra yeah. charge distance. Yeah, that's the big thing. Like, and that's kind of where it was before. Like the icon in the White Dwarf book didn't really do much either, other than just kind of triggering um stratagem abilities. And I think it's I think it's still worth it to get the uh you know, to have the to be able to use the stratagem to get the extra charge dice. Um because it's only uh it's a five point upgrade. Yeah, it's a five point upgrade. Like it's, I think it's still worth it to take. Um, I already have a bunch of I- of icons already, so you know, <laughs> I'm just gonna continue to use them. But right, yeah, I think it's, I think it's probably a worthwhile upgrade. Uh, I like that they get the eviscerator because the biggest problem that I had with um, with world eaters before was the one damage. So, like that's why, like when I was talking about like the friendly, like going up against sanguinary guard were so difficult or fighting custodes in the last game uh, because something with, you know, three, four wounds, it just takes a long time to chew through those. So having a, having a weapon that can do two damage, uh, you know, even just sprinkled in is going to help and going to make them a lot killier. Yeah, very much so. And like the blood surge ability is not bad. Uh, if you're fighting against yeah. a shooting army, uh, getting extra, you know, a couple of, you know, on average, it's going to be like three extra inches of movement towards them. Fine. That's cool. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh, so then that takes us to their other troops choice, which is the Jackals, which are their cultists equivalent. And uh, yes, you can't have more um, cultists than you can have uh, Butcher Astartes Core, which is their equivalent of like Heretic Astartes, which they still have Heretic Astartes, but specifically Bu- Butcher Astartes Core, which is Berserkers, Terminators, 8-bound, but not Exalted 8-bound, um, hell brute. Well, yeah, hell brutes, and uh, I think that is it as far as core. Yeah, but uh, jackals. Uh, they start at uh, what size? It start at unit ten with eight jackals, a pack leader, and a dishonored. They can get up to size twenty. Um, everybody's armed with jackal chain blades. And then the regular jackals and pack leader have auto pistols. Yay, there's your shooting. <laughs> I mean, that's that, that sure. and the bolt pistols and plasma pistols are like your some of your best shooting in the army so far. Um, you're only shooting in the army so far. Uh, the jackal chain blades, they're fine. AP minus one, one damage on a, I mean, it's a strength three weapon skill four unit because they're cultists. Okay, fine. Um, they can uh, take a jackal icon, which for every 10 models, which allows them to add one to their combat attrition test. So they are not likely because while they are like leadership six, seven with their pack leader, 
not being likely to fragment when they invariably lose a leadership check is good. Like that's not, a, yeah. not bad for them. Um, the Dishonored can be armed with, uh, let's see, the Jackal, for every 10 models, one Jackal can take uh, Mauler Chain Blades, which does subtract one for their hit roll, but gives them plus two strength, uh, minus two AP, two damage. And again, they are World Eaters, so they will get um, relentless, like, relentless Fury, so they will be up to like strength four, so in this case, strength six on mm-hmm. the charge. With an extra attack. I mean, that's good. Um, the Dishonored can take uh, Skull Smashers, which are the same thing without the strength buff, but also double attacks. I mean, Jackals can put out a lot of attacks, surprisingly, uh, depending yeah. on how you build them. Uh, they're definitely cheaper. And uh, also, like, once per battle, you can have them basically huff Astartes' blood, because they carry around space, like, World Eater's blood in their in their tanks on their back, and they can basically huff it. The unit suffers D3 mortal wounds, so you're going to lose, you know, two to three people, but the unit then gains an extra strength for the, uh, for the end of that phase. So, um, suddenly there's strength four, five on the charge. Like, Strength 5 Cultists coming in, you know, and if you, like, definitely could look at doing that on a larger unit of Cultists, it's like, you can, mm-hmm. they can actually put out some damage. Like, they're not a bad choice at all. Yeah, no, they get a lot of attacks, and, and you can, you know, again, weight of attacks. You know, mm-hmm. you, you can throw a lot out there, and you can get a lot of damage done. So, so am I weird that I find the jackals to be like gameplay wise more interesting than the berserkers? Because the berserkers just feel like fighty marines. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I actually like the jackals more than the berserkers. I, they still feel like they are a chaff unit. Um, they can do some interesting things, but I, I, I still think that uh. When you build, you know, when you build this army, you're gonna want to build like units of ten because you want them to die. Um, you want people to, you know, you want them to be able to hit back and and hurt things, but you're also like, nah, I'm willing to sacrifice this unit. I think berserkers, like a five man unit of berserkers, uh, is still going to get a lot done. Like they're gonna be able to take out, like I like I in in the friendly that I was running in the crusade events that I was running, five man berserker units will just shred through like a 10-man tac marine squad or primaris marine squad like in one go in combat they're just so i think it just depends like there's probably a spot where jackals are going to be really good but like it my initial thoughts with them is like yeah they're they're they have some fancy bells and whistles but their ultimate goal in the game is for them to die as quickly as possible so i can get extra buffs for the good units I mean, okay, so I do think, like, pound for pound, the Berserkers are better. They are more yeah. survivable. They definitely, they hit harder. They've got more attacks. That Like, they are a functionally yeah. better unit. I just find the Jackals to be a more interesting unit. Like, it feels like there's more you can do with them as far as building them. They've got a little bit more flexibility sure. in how you play. Like, just from a, from a rules perspective, they're more yeah. interesting. I find the Berserkers to be kind of vanilla. I mean, they're yeah. they're. Oh. Again, it's not a finesse army. I get it, but it's just like I, yeah. I just think the berserkers have always be been one note. Berserkers yeah. have always been very one note for sure. I here's my thing on the jackals, and like I said, have not played them yet, so I don't know. 
I just kind of feel like they've got, yes, they have some extra bells and whistles. I don't feel like any of them are going to matter. Like, yeah, it's really great they can do this, you know, uh, they can do the stems thing and get one extra strength. Okay, but there's also better ways to get extra strength. There's stratagems, there's blood tithe points um, that don't require me killing, you know, potentially a third of the units. Um I think the 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 dishonored and the jackal leader, like, yeah, they have some cool abilities, but sure, they're going to strength four. Like, they're just, I just don't think they're still t-shirt saves, and they're still a unit that you're going to want to throw out there front in front to die. So, like, I can't really imagine like kidding out a unit of ten or a unit of twenty with like, oh, I'm going to get too dishonored, and I'm going to pay for these upgrades, give them extra mauler chain blades, and then. I just can't imagine doing that because you're just throwing points away because they're going to die the moment they encounter almost anything. So, I don't know. Maybe that's just the way I play my cultists. <laughs> I, I, though, I will say the blood... You know, yes, they are going to die the minute they they uh, hit anything. That's what the blood... They're for making blood tithe points one way or another. <laughs> right. So, I think that's what I said. I think, like, it's neat they have all these extra bells and whistles. I just don't think you're going to use them. I think you're going to take these in minimum 10-man 10, 10 units, and you're not going to pay for any upgrades. You're not going to give them any of the extra weapons. You're not going to give, you know, you're not going to put a Dishonored in that unit. You're just... Well, you're, no, they always have a Dishonored. Design. Yeah, they always have a Dishonored. Oh, okay. Uh, fair enough. Okay. But, like, I just, I just think that it's going to be one of those where, like, I don't think you're... I don't think you're ever going to play with the special toys they get... Because they're going to die quickly. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Uh, But, uh, no, you're probably right. Like, the the Berserkers, like I said, Berserkers are are functionally better units. But, hey, having some chaff choices for cheap cheap add-ons that are there to die and earn you blood tithe points, great. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's, it's the same thing when I play my cultists in, you know, in the previous book. The cultist unit can take... You know, the, they can take a flamer, they can take a, a stubber, they can, and I'm like, that's great. I'm not doing any of that because this unit's meant to die. <laughs> this unit's to screen. Like, there's great, they have options. I don't care. I'm taking them as cheaply as possible. Fair. So I think that's what's, what you're going to see with the jackals. Like, they're a cool unit. They got some cool options. I don't think they matter. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Uh, but moving on uh, to number six, uh, the elite section is where the real meat of the army is, especially the new eight bound. And yeah, I got to say the eight like, OK, so first off, we've got the World Eaters Terminator squad, which is a Terminator they're squad. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're not bad. Yeah, like they've got, an, I think, the extra attack. They've got Terminator armor. So two up, five up. Uh, they can deep strike. Uh, they are the one unit that has malicious volleys so they can fire their yeah bolters at full full shots while moving great cool um they can take all the standard options that the new terminator box can take which means i hope you didn't build blood uh didn't build red butcher world eater terminators with double claws man would be it would be really you'd be really pissed right now if you built like say three units of terminators with dual lightning claws that you can't use anymore yeah, who would do something silly like that, though? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the curse of we don't, w- this is what we put in the box, so we're not going <laughs> to let you build anything outside of yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so. And I've had time, I've had time to deal with this because this obviously came out in the, the Chaos Marine book. So, like, it's been a while, but still, let me goddamn take my lightning claws. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's still, it's mm. still frustrating, but, uh, on the other hand, you have eight bound. Um, eight bound come in units of three to six, 
and they are beasts. Uh, the first off, they are demons. So yes, you can take them in a Disciples of the Reddit uh, Angels Army, where they do become objective secured, which is really nice. Um, strength six, T five, three wounds, four attacks base, um, three up save, nine inches of movement. Uh, I mean, they they do take the role basically of possessed in this army, and yeah, uh, they but like they was hit actually, way harder. <laughs> I was actually looking like. The stat line's the same as possessed. Like they are basically just possessed. Um, mm-hmm. Nine inch movement, three up, three up, five. You know, uh, they do have extra strength, so they're strength six, and they get an extra attack. But like, and they and they obviously they have the better weapon choices like that, so they do hit harder. But yeah, I was kind of surprised. I'm like, no, they're they're basically just you know world eaters possessed, which I like because I like the new possessed models, and I don't like the mm-hmm. new. And, and and I've seen people go like, oh, I'll just use the possessed models and kit bash. I'm like. Yeah, that would totally work. Take the you know take the the new possessed models and do some arm swaps and yeah, they they would totally work. Um, no, this units these units are great. Yeah, and I, the eight I, pound, I'm a little bit disappointed okay. they're they're small, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's sad you can't get them into up to a unit of eight. That feels like a missed opportunity. But uh, yeah, but uh, also. Each eight bound is armed with two eight bound eviscerators, which means you get two extra attacks because each one mm-hmm. adds an additional attack. So they are four attacks base, but actually six attacks, seven on the charge. Like, yeah, that's a lot of attacks. <laughs> I really do think that, you know, like, obviously, like the reason why they're six is because they came through in a box. So they did, you know, okay. yeah, I get the that. curse of the box. Um, six is going to be enough. Y- you don't need more than six of these guys in the unit. Three might be enough to do what you want to do in most cases. Um, but I, I do get like, I I will definitely be running at least a unit of six with these because they are going to put out so many attacks at a higher damage than Berserkers. Like they, they really, it really feels like they kind of are what, uh, kind of like better Berserkers and really what, like what mutilators should have been, mm-hmm. you know, a decade ago when they, when their janky ass models came out. Um, but like they, they, they really feel, uh, like, like upscaled, upskilled, you know, berserkers. And, and that's perfect. I like that. And they're going to throw out a boatload of attacks and do a lot of damage. Right. Um, yeah. The uh, champ comes with a heavy chain glaive, which doubles the number of attacks or no, he comes with lacerators, which is already a three damage version of their weapons with plus one strength, or he can upgrade to a heavy chain glaive, which gives him double attacks, which I mean, just makes him less damage, but more attacks. Weight of attacks is always good. They've got a five up and vulnerable save. They have a six inch aura of minus one leadership, which uh, does stack with that stratagem we mentioned for disciples of the red angel, which after you kill something, it's like they're, an aura of leadership minus two. So leadership minus three, like eight bound will break other units. It'll break space Marine units. Like it's, they're nasty. And if you put them in reserves, they come on a turn earlier, regardless of whatever the mission rules are. So like you can have them come in from a table side and get somebody unaware. And with a nine inch move and like being able to like make, get their charges better with uh, blood tithe points or something like that. It's like, you can get some real work done with these guys. They are fantastic. Well, and the nice thing is too with the with the the strategic reserve stuff is in Arcs of Omen you don't have to pay you don't have to pay command points for it. So yeah, they're they're gonna be in your face right away. Oh yeah, no, they eight bound are great. 
Exalted 8-Bound are basically a heavier version. They only come in units of three because, again, the box, you know, it's the same box that makes the two. Very similar stat line, although their weapon skill now is a two-up instead of a three-up. They come armed with one 8-Bound Eviscerator and an 8-Bound Chain Fist. So they do end up getting, like, one less attack because they don't have the double Eviscerators. But that Chain Fist is, like, plus three strength. So now, like, on the charge, they're peeling stuff open to, like, strength ten. Like, these guys will kill Custodes. (laughs) Yeah. They'll murder a unit of Custodes. I like them as, like, like the option of, like, no, we're heavy. We're the heavy armored. Like, we're kind of the Terminator equivalent of, like, the other guys feel, like, more, like, upscale Berserkers. These feel, like, up upscale terminators that are going to go peel open armor or take out heavy heavy infantry um and that that's good i like that i like those options and i think it they they very easily could have felt uh like they're just copy and paste of a unit and and they kind of are but like they do feel like they're going to take a different role on the battlefield and they're going to have a different targets than uh than the eight pound yeah um, they also have a four up, so they're a three up, four up instead of a three up, five up, so they're even more resilient. Um, they can take double chain fists, in which case they're doing three damage per hit. So again, you want to kill vehicles, you want to kill heavy, like terminators, stuff like that. Exalted eight bound will get that job done. They can deep strike, and you have to, like, if somebody tries, that's not a vehicle, tries to fall back from exalted eight bound, you roll a d6 on a four up. No, they don't. Or you can yeah. make them fail an action. So they're like really good. So like eight bound and exalted eight bound, fantastic new unit. Love them for this army. Um, like if you decide to skip on terminators and go with these, you won't be disappointed. You really won't. I mean, the only yeah. thing terminators will have is more bodies per squad. Well, and terminators will be able to shoot because the, the terminators I think are going to be uh, important in this army because they are going to be the only uh, infantry in your army that can shoot at all. Right. Um, and then uh, there's the Hellbrute, which is fine. I mean, it's it's a Hellbrute. Yep. Uh, it's a Hellbrute. <laughs> yeah, it, it sure is a Hellbrute. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily worth taking over the other stuff, but it's not, you know. If you've got a Hellbrute, you can at least use it. Yeah. And then, uh, let's see, moving on to uh, number seven. We're getting near the end of the list. Number seven, <laughs> Fast Attack. What fast attack? Fast attack is a joke in this book. And I I have nothing good to say about this. You have one fast attack choice, and it's a chaos spawn. The only thing it's good at is dying to give you a blood tithe point. That is it. You don't even get the upgrades, the upgrade stratagems that, like, Death Guard have for their chaos spawn. So in... <clears throat> in Lord Invocatus' like background fluff, where they're explaining... Uh, who he is and what he does. They talk repeatedly about him leading a war band that uses hit and run tactics, that uses speed, uses speed over everything else. People don't like them because they're hit and run and they, they think they're cowards. He has an entire group called the Fire Riders that ride juggernauts that just, and I'm like, much like I think when, uh, when I was, when we were talking about the Traitor's Legion book in seventh edition. In the beginning of it, they talk about world eaters riding in drop pods. And I'm like, that's a really cool fluff thing. Would that be, can I please have it in a book sometime? How the hell did you miss the opportunity to not put, put, uh, berserkers on juggernauts? Like, just how? Like, it's inexcusable. (laughs) 
Well, and on top of that, it's like, okay, so you got Chaos Bond. We don't have Juggernaut Riders. We don't even have things. Like, if you were using the White Dwarf Codex, you have actually lost a lot of options. You have oh, no yes. Cornate Bikers. You have no Cornate Raptors. You have no Cornate Warp Talons. Warp Talons would be fantastic for this army. Yes. Where yeah. are they? And there's, yeah, no, there's, and there's a sub-faction that would perfectly use Warp Talons. Because, like, going with the right angel, like, yeah, it. This is my frustration with this book. And 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 like I said, I I I love Angron. I love the new eight bounds. I love the Bloodside stuff. This is a better book than what World Leaders had before. But the amount of options that I'm going to have to shelve, because they're just not in this book. Like I chosen are not in this book. Warped, you know, Raptors Warp Talons are not in this book. Like it's it blows my mind that they took, you know. Foot slogging chaos lords. Like how the he- like the 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 juggernaut lords that I have made for the army in the past, they're not valid because they have power fists. I don't know. I, I don't understand stripping away all the options in this. I, I that I just don't get it. Yeah. Now this is th- this section, this one section of the of the force work slot, and, and you know, on top, like we've complained about the HQs and stuff and but this one is just like, it feels like a smack in the face. Cause especially this is a fast assault army. This is an army that wants yeah. to get in your face right away and start fighting. So why did you take away all the units that do that? Or like, okay, let's say that you're going to do, you're adding an eight bound. Make the exalted eight bound a fast attack, attack choice. So that way you're not like doubling up on the same slots. Like there's, there's ways they could have done this to make fast attack feel like it's not a, just a complete waste of time and then the option and then obviously we'll get into the next section but like the options they chose to cap in the book make no damn sense like i i don't know half of this book is great half of this book is confounding <laughs> Nah, it absolutely is you're you are not wrong in the least so yeah, that gets us to our final section because like at this point we've gone through stratagems cuz like there's only eight yeah. per choice and stuff like that. So um so number 8, heavy support is fine and at least there's a lord of skulls. So the heavy support section in this book is pretty stock and it's funny that they brought in all these choices from the Chaos Marine book and didn't bring in the fast attack choices. Okay, so you got a land raider, you need the land raider to carry eight bound and terminators. Fine, sure. you know, that sure, great choice. Defiler makes sense. It's a demon engine. It's got the big close combat claws, you know, it can do the scourge and everything. Defiler, okay, fine. Yeah. Um same thing with the Mauler Fiend. The Mauler Fiend is perfect for this army. Yeah. Like it's a big and, close combat monster. That's what you the, want. And the Venom Crawler is a perfect oh wait, it's not in here either. Yeah, no, it's definitely not. And then you get into the like your other heavy heavy assault choices, the Chaos Predator, Destructor, and Annihilator as two separate choices, and the Forge Fiend, which you know, yes, we have talked about how there's not much shooty in this army, and it's kind of nice to have, but like, why are the tanks like why the tanks? The Forge Fiend I can kind of go with, but why the tanks? Sure. So I guess I, I mean this is a theory I have, and maybe. Maybe it's wrong, but the the amount of time they've spent pushing chaos imperial predators to like that makes me think that like somewhere there's just a warehouse full of predator kits that they're desperately trying to move <laughs> because in every book they're now like four data sheets like it's literally like four data sheets in the ca- in the space marine codex for predators 
And it's like, I just don't, I don't get it. Maybe if you want people to take them, make them good. Don't just put them in every, in every codex. Right. <sighs> I, I, I saw somebody, like, they, somebody pointed out there's no uh, Vindicator in here, which there's like, there's a, uh, like, uh, somewhat known corn player uh who takes like a triple vindicator list and those are all shelved yeah. now he can't take them they're not an option as of this book <sighs> and it's like yeah it's I like don't get it it's like you had better choices you kept these in and you took out other things with it make no sense and it's like i mean it's fine like i don't I don't hate, like, I love the Mauler Fiend being in there. I like the Defiler being oh, in there. Those yeah. are good ones. Yeah, like, they're totally fine. But the the predator, the Chaos Predators, you know, for an army that completely eschews shooting as much as possible, like, these seem like bad choices to have in the book because they're not flavorful. And uh, oh, we and also the have Forge the Hell Turkey. We also yeah, have the, the Hell Turkey that we talked about. No. But also, nobody cares about it. So let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody's going to take the Heldrake. But finally, we have our other Lords of War choice, and that is the Corn Lord of Skulls, which damn well better sure. be in this book. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same as it was before. Like, it's right. good. It's perfect to take in this book. And, like, it, it's one of those things where, like, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about it the other, the other week the, when we talked about this, you know, the Arcs of Omen detachments that, like, yeah, now you can go through and you can take, you know – Load out on on uh, Lord, you know, uh, Titanic models and Lords of War and stuff like that. Like, yeah, like there's so few other options in here that, like, yeah, and, like I can take Angron and three Lord of Skulls, and I'm pretty much done. If I want to take that army, that could be an army, and I could fit it into the, you know, I can fit it into the Force War, I could fit it in points wise. Actually, I don't think it's right. anyway, but like, yeah, like that's great. It's a great option, but. I don't know. I just I'm frustrated by the lack of other options. <laughs> yeah, sadly that is 85 points over three lords of skull and Angron. Yeah, and well, and also you'd have to yeah. take an HQ. You'd so you could do. Um, let's see, oh, I guess that's uh, true. oh, I, I know what it was. I think I'd because I kitted one out. I think what it was is I'd taken like uh, Lord Invocatus or something like that. Yeah, and. Uh, I think it was like Lord Invocatus, Angron, two two Lords of Skulls, and maybe a Chitin. I think I was including the Chitin because the Chitin's a little bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. But obviously, like as of right now, because the book isn't even out and all that stuff, the the Forge World stuff hasn't been added in. Right. So you can't take the Chitin. You can't take the Blood Slaughterers. You can't take the uh, uh, oh the big one, the big Blood Blood Scorpion thing. So, like, the Forge World units will help fill out some of the other spots in here. Because, like, you're going to add several fast attacks when you add the Brass Scorpion and you add the, the Blood Slaughters and stuff like that. But that shouldn't – that stuff's supplemental. You shouldn't be using that. Like, well, people just take a Blood Slaughter and that'll fill out their fast attack. Like, that's no, it's- not – when I was like Great looking, design. I looked in the Imperial Army book to see like, well, maybe there's some of those old characters. No, they've retired all those. They're like legends mm-hmm. entirely now. So it's like you can't yep. even use those. Um, so I, I did. So so Angron. <clears throat> so this you could run this as a Red Disciples army. Angron, mm-hmm. two Lords of Skulls, Lord Invocatus, who is a demon because of his mount. Yep. He does actually have the demon keyword. Um, a World Eaters Demon Prince with Wings. And a unit of four eight bound is nineteen ninety five. Okay, so yeah, 
I mean, you can do so it. Is it good? Yeah. Uh, it's going to kill, kill a lot. It'll kill a lot of things. <laughs> now, I, so I guess, like, as kind of the, the, the final takeaway on this, I don't think this army is going to be, like, competitive. Because I think there's too many other armies out there that can just shoot them off the table. Um, do I think this army will be fun to play? Hell yes. <laughs> I think I think f- I think for people who want to play this style, this army is going to be super fun, and it's going to make it's going to it encourages all of the right things for like being aggressive, like you know, getting into melee, fighting things that you you know that maybe you didn't necessarily want to fight, like being a little bit reckless. Um, I think it's going to be a really fun army to play. I do not think it'll be good. It'll be interesting to see how it compares to, like, again, like, we've got right now the Blood Angels, like, Sanguinary Guard and Death Company list. And I think Mm -hmm. by virtue of speed and more tactical flexibility, I think the Blood Angels list will do better. Yeah. At at doing what this army does. Uh, Again, I agree with you. I think this army will be fun. But I just feel like this, the list building on this army has too many holes that are in it inexplicable and other than we don't have kits for it which the fact that they have the lord the master of executions in there photographed with a berserk like one of the new berserker heads tells me that's not actually a concern if they'll kit bash one and put it in the book like that yeah. that feels like a slap in the face <laughs> to, to especially to like terminator users you know it's just like and yeah. i know we've harped yeah. on the terminator thing but it's just like if you can you've shown you can do it so why not let us do it? Well, and and, and especially in this book, like because this was kind of my hope with this book is like, okay, in in the Space Marine book, there are assault terminators, there are regular terminators. Okay, give us an assault terminator unit. Like, give us a Red Butcher's assault terminator unit. Every other edition, you know, every other uh, Legion Codex got their own cult terminator troops. Like. Give me cult terminators with like melee weapons. Like, I don't know. Like, it just feels like it feels like there's several missed opportunities. And uh, again, with the with some of the speculation about 10th edition and stuff like that, I know a lot of people online have been like, oh, well, this is going to be this is just going to be a get you by decks until we get to 10th edition and then we'll get a new wave. And I'm like, but that feels worse. (laughs) Like, yeah, like in my opinion, that that feels worse. Because then you're like, oh, we're going to make you buy all this stuff, make you buy a $60 book. And then, yeah, it's going to go away in six months. So I don't know. I It's very it's very curious. Very interesting to see where some of this stuff goes. No, I, I agree. I'm just, it just, the and I'm just, I'm boggled. I'm more than anything else. I'm just boggled by this, this book in some yeah. ways. But, but there's a lot of things like I feel like it hits the core mechanics it hits dead on like it hits just right i i really like that but man i yeah. wish it made i wish it made more sense the stuff that's in here is perfect like the stuff that's in here is perfect fit for this army and this theme but yeah the stuff that's not in here is just baffling and i don't understand why and uh yeah i i've had enough time to like read through it and like write my write my thoughts out and and get a lot of my anger out. So, uh, if we'd recorded this last week, I probably would have had different thoughts and 
a lot more swearing. <laughs> yeah, I remember like yes, like I sent you my list, and you like you were putting together your notes for the codex, and you're like, yeah, our notes are about like ninety five percent equivalent. Only yours are a thousand percent less salty. So yeah, <laughs> or, like that my points were were way less salty. So yeah, I think I think going through and reading through and taking notes got a lot of the salt out, and I'm like, all right, I can put these notes aside and not use them, and just go with Rob's, and it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I know it's not a point on here, and it's something we usually don't cover, and I were kind of towards the end. But uh, one thing that was very interesting, kind of talking about uh, Codex experimentation, stuff like that, they moved the Crusade rules to the end of this book, and mm-hmm. I kind of like that better. So, like, you have the army, you have all the, the points and stuff like that, and then you have the Crusade rules, like, right at the end. That feels like a lot easier to use than some of the other books that have the Crusade rules kind of weirdly sandwiched in the middle. Yeah. So, like, if you're not using Crusade rules, then you just don't need to worry about the last 10 pages. If you're playing Crusade, you just flip to those pages. And, like, at all, it just feels feels like that's going to be a better option. Agreed. Yeah, it's it, – it, there's a lot that they could uh, could do with – I do like the organization of this. They keep jumping around on how they're doing organization, mm. and it, it's kind of weird, but – I feel like this book probably has the best organization of any codex, partially because there's not as much stuff. <laughs> um, but like, but I do think that like the order of this book, like when you read through it, it's laid out and it every you laying out all the stuff and it's kind because of, like as we're going through the list, for example, like we're going through the eight bullet points, we've basically just gone through the book. We haven't jumped around. We haven't been like now go to page forty, now go to page ninety, now back here. It's like no, this is pretty much just this is the first section, this is the next section. And like, yeah, this is, I feel like they finally have figured out what the, what the, uh, what the layout of the book is. Mm-hmm. And, and that's Agreed. good. Yeah, no, it's, it, it actually is a good book layout. I didn't, you know, it's very easy to read and follow and d- did everything kind of in the right order. And I think part of that is also because like the, the sections for relics and warlord traits and stratagems were all compressed down to like two pages. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no. So, I, yeah. And honestly, I still feel like that's enough options because how many, like, you look at most books and it's like, this, there's way more stratagems than you're going to use, way more relics than anyone's really going to take. So it's like, this is, yeah, this is enough. This is, this is fine. And I think specifically in this book, because, like, you're going to take one of the three named characters. Like, they're going to be your, one of those three will be your warlord. I can't imagine, I mean, maybe I get, I mean, you can build it, but I can't imagine anyone's going to be like, I'm just going to take my three HQs as uh, master of executions and I'm not going to take Angron and I'm not going to take anybody on a, jug- you know, on a juggernaut. I'm not going to take Karn. So like, yeah, I don't really know that you need the option. Like you need a lot of options. I just don't think you're ever going to get used. Yeah. So, so yeah, in the end, the book feels like it. it's like on the right track theme wise but just has a few missed opportunities but like if you like if you play world eaters you might be frustrated by the things that you can't use but what you do have will be really good and getting some of the new stuff will be like like getting especially the eight bound and anger on like get those for sure um and uh you'll be able to have fun with this army for sure yeah i'm just i am worried that a lot of lists are going to feel very samey um, just because of the lack of options, but again, it's world leaders. This is not a finesse army. So, well, I mean, I, I think, you know, comparing back to like the last real army book that we re- reviewed, which is the leagues of OTAN, it has more options than like more unit options than the leagues of OTAN, but like 
it really doesn't because you're not going to take like half of those. You're not going to take, you know, there doesn't need to be two predator entries in this book. You're not going to take either of them. So, yeah, I do feel like it's going to kind of fall into that trap of being very samey. Okay, so this is interesting. I'm looking over at Goonhammer, and they've got, like, world eaters lists that, like, various writers for the them have put together. And Chase Garber, uh, who we've, we've put, you know, mm-hmm. we've met and played, uh, had a list put together uh, for Arcs of Omen. His is World Eaters Demon Prince with Wings and a Master of Execution. So already we're kind of like in, uh... <laughs> list or you know territory uh three units of five berserkers two units of jackals with the uh skull smasher on their dishonored three units of five eight bound two units of exalted eight bound two chaos spawn for blood tithe purposes and then a chaos demon allied patrol detachment with karanak a unit of blood letters and two units of flesh hounds yeah it's not bad and like I said, I think you're going to see, I think that's where some of the flexibility will come in. You'll see some Forge World stuff sprinkled in. You'll see demon allies coming in. Um, and that at least, like, at least I will say this, like the demon allies with, with, uh, blood crushers and, and hounds, like, do give you some of that speed that you're lacking in this army. But again, I don't know. It doesn't feel great to have to go outside of the codex to like fill in gaps. <laughs> mm hmm. So yeah, it's I, I'm I'm curious to see how to yeah I don't have high hopes that it's going to be all that competitive, but we'll we'll see what happens with it when you know it gets in the hands of uh, the competitive scene and yeah. and how it actually performs because like if you had asked me if I thought like and in this environment an all sanguinary guard and death company army would still be solid I probably would have boggled a bit but it apparently works really well and this is. Kind of that. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, for sure. All right. So, uh, all right. So that wraps up our main section. So let's get into a quick bit of hobby progress. Um, I uh, have been work. Well, I finished up some Middle Earth stuff that I had. So I have like my first Middle Earth army done. And that has freed me up. Well, it was going to free me up to work more on my sisters. I'd started doing some uh, painting, detail painting on my uh, uh, Penitent Engines. And then uh, I mentioned earlier in the show that we are doing a uh, raffle army, uh, Leagues of Oton raffle army for Midwest Conquest. And when I say we, I mean I, because the person who we were going to have paint that uh, fell through because, like, he's got a six-month backlog and we got it to, like, got the request to him at, like, five months. And so he can't do it. And so I'm like, well, I happen to know a guy which is me. So I'm going to be painting a, a 2000 point Votan army over the next four months. So, um, so next week I'm going to be starting the build on that. So uh, I, so you can see how fun they are to put together. Oh, uh, please tell me that's not sarcastic, Dennis. No, it's not the, I enjoyed putting the Votan models together. Mm, okay. Good. So yeah, it's like, cause you're, there's oh I know you you had a couple of issues like with I think the pioneers when you first started building them. Oh no like, my my issue with the pioneers mostly is they have way too much detail on them that that I want to paint and yeah. <laughs> oh see that's not a problem for me I can handle that. <laughs> that that's my my love hate relationship with the pioneers they're cool looking models but there's because they're so cool there's so much to paint. Yeah uh, so. Yeah, that's going to be my challenge over the next. So you'll hear progress on that. I have right now. I have a Voton Army box and a Voton Combat Patrol staring me in the face, and then uh, 
that comes out to about 1500 points. I think we have somebody else contributing some, uh, the hearth guard and a couple other additional models. And if I have time, uh, I would like to add, uh, a Hecaton land fortress to that, to, as a centerpiece model. So I don't have that piece here yet, but, um, this is what I'm starting with. I'm going to, to build all the basics first and then, uh, move from there. But, uh, so that is, that is my hobby, Upcoming hobby progress. So um, I had asked people on Facebook whether I should play uh, Emperor's Children, Sisters, or Tau for uh, competitive comp play coming up. With the the knowledge that like the Sisters, I have more to paint than I do with the Emperor's Children than I do with the Tau because the Tau are pretty much done. And people were generally like there were some people going Emperor's Children, but I think the a slim majority said Tau, and I'm kind of glad they did because <laughs> I'm not going to have the bandwidth to paint my sisters for a bit. So, yeah. so, uh, so I will be playing Tau and building Votan, and that is what I'm going to be doing. So that's it for me. So um, we did get along with the Codex, we got some of the uh, the the new models. So uh, I've been putting together and working on painting Angron. Um, I was hoping to have him completely finished. Um, and so I kind of show him off like when this episode goes live. I don't yet. I've only had a couple of days to actually sit down and paint on him because LVO happened and then work is picked up and stuff like that. So unfortunately, I didn't get him painted, although he's in a spot right now where I could still I'll, I'll take some pictures and we can at least, you know, show him what the model looks like. And then I've got, you know, the the eight bound and the berserkers to put together as well. So yeah, I'll probably end up picking up the combat patrol when it comes out so I can get more, um, more jackals and more, um, more berserkers. And then, yeah, just pick up a couple eight bounds here and there to, to work in some exalted and some regular eight bound and, uh, kind of rebuild this army from scratch. Um, and then hopefully have it, have it ready in time to play for the, uh, Warhammer open in Kansas city. I guess then for me, I'll, uh, my pioneers were like still working. Um, I got tired of working on them or actually mostly just looking at them sitting that there. They were so close to done, but instead I ended up, um, painting my Iron Master and all of his, um, retinue got them completely done. And then I'm like, oh, pioneers. And I'm like, oh, no. And that's when I went and bought the Arcs of Omen boarding actions box of train. And the funny thing is, after I bought that, then that I came back, and instead of putting that together, then I finally finished painting the pioneers. <laughs> so, I mean, Sometimes all I had to just do need was that like, metal break. Yeah, I think I think that might have been it. So I, I'm pretty pleased. I have 60 Voton models now completely painted. I flocked them this week, and I just have to do the water transfers. Um, on the latest set, which I was probably going to try and get to this week. Um, and then I don't know. I'll debate and weather has to get warmer for before I can prime anything. Cause we were really cold here in Dallas right now. Yeah. That's what um, I've heard. Yeah. And so instead I might work on painting the berserks or maybe go for hearth guard. Cause I've got them already primed. So it's just neither one are needed for an upcoming list. Maybe I might find a way to use them. We'll see how where that goes. 
as far as my hobby progress, um, I put together a, a box of, uh, heavy weapons team for my Cadian Brood Brothers army. And then was looking through the bits, uh, of like genes, extra gene stealer stuff that I had and was like, I don't have enough heads. So I picked up another, uh, one of the gene stealer cult upgrade sprues and, uh, also picked up a, a Achilles Ridge Runner and Goliath, uh, just for extra bits. And, and I didn't have a, a Ridge Runner yet. So. So basically getting getting all your Gene Steeler cult stuff padded out and ready yeah. to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Cool. I, I look f- I, I want to play against that army more because I had a lot of fun when we, we were able to play at, at Midwest. So I'm hoping to get to face it again because it's a neat army to play against. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the conversions. Yeah. And I do really want to get I want to get the uh, get more of a, like got the scheme like figured out for for the for my regular gene stealer cults. I, I haven't decided yet on quite on the Brute Brothers Cadians yet. But. Mm-hmm. I take you're not just going to go like the standard green or khaki with uh, heads, though, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I am I am kind of thinking because because. I'm leaving a lot of the, like, you know, the fluff behind it really is going to be that, uh, you know, the, the cover up for Cadia being destroyed, uh, being gene stealers and not, not being blown up because of demons, right? <laughs> right. So, like, I'm thinking, like, actually a more traditional, like, you know, Cadian color scheme would be appropriate for them. But then okay. still have like pale, you know, white gene stealer heads or or purplish gene stealer heads. Mm-hmm. So, oh, okay, I, I could see yeah. going with that then. Cool. All right. Well, I, that will go ahead and move us to uh, the um, end of the show, which is the morale phase. And for the morale phase, I want to reference something that we talked about like a couple episodes ago when it first started happening and I think we may have touched on a brief last episode, but um, the uh, wizards of the coast D and D OGL thing has resolved. And uh, Hey, it turns out if a community bands together as customers and says, no, this is unacceptable. We're not going to take it. Turns out the community can actually win. Um, so mm-hmm. in the end, the community basically like Wizards of the Coast put out a survey to say, okay, so what, what do you think of these terms that we're putting together for this new, uh, open gaming license? And the community, like, I think a 90% disapproval rate. Like, the survey was supposed to run for like two to three weeks and they called it, I think, after one. Because the results were so absolutely clear that no, these terms are not acceptable. We, we, what we want is an open license and uh, like they had start, they had released a few things to creative commons to see like, as to like, see, we'll re- we'll release the mechanics to, uh, to creative commons, but we won't release anything else knowing that that's because that's what they couldn't legally protect. Yeah. And in the end, the community said, Nope, not acceptable. We, we want 
we want this to be truly open the way it used to. And Wizards of the Coast relented. And not only did they say they are not going to touch the OGL, and I'm going to put in parentheses after that for now, but they also released the full system resource document to Creative Commons 4, which is in unrevocable. They can't take it back. So it's done. Yeah. That and they're also saying you can use like if you want to use the OGL, use the OGL. If you want to use the Creative Commons, use the Creative Commons just to attribute it properly. I mean, that is a clear win for I think for for everyone. It's it's way better than yeah. than I think anyone was hoping because there were already people who were very much on the open gaming uh, side of things saying, well, we got to we got to decide what losses we are willing to take because they're not going to offer us a, a good deal. So we have to figure out what the least bad deal is. And in fact, they got yeah. more than they were hoping for. Well, and then I know um, on the flip side of that, like companies like uh, I'd say companies like Paizo, they're kind of leading the charge, but they're not going to own it. But, you know, companies like Paizo and some of these other ones are still going to work on the uh, the orc, the uh, open uh, open, open role playing content. Open role playing content, yeah. I was trying to. I was like, all of a sudden, I blanked on what the name was. Um, there's so that like, oh, we're still moving forward on that. We're still going to put this out there to publish it because, a- as you mentioned, with the ominous kind of you know, for now, you can't trust corporations to like have your best interests, you know, always. So like, things are going to change. Parties are going to change. So Dean, you know, Watsi isn't going to change it now, but they may want to change it in five years, ten years, thirty years. So. You know, there's there's still a push to create uh, a truly open license that's not owned by anybody. And then, you know, you're also still seeing like companies like Cobalt Press and some of these other ones and, and uh, you know, that are still like, no, we're still going to move forward with our own our own gaming system because we don't want to be beholden to Watsi. So I think in the long run, this is going to be good for the hobby. I think it's going to mitigate a lot of the short term downside that everybody was talking about because people can still continue to publish for D&D. But I think you're you're going to see the community start going in different directions and, and leaving Watsi behind. Cause there's, there was a lot of trust that was burned in this. Like a lot of people can't, can't trust them to have their best interests at heart anymore. So they're going to move on and they're going to move in different directions. Yeah. And uh, I think in the end, that's, that's fine because I mean, already there is Dungeons and Dragons, the branded version that Wizards of the Coast puts out that is one style of playing D and D. And even before all this, like the community had had been creating so many variations, add-ons, things that mm-hmm. were vaguely compatible or completely compatible, but with a very different flavor. Like they, the people were already basically hacking this system and figuring out what they want, to, what to do with it to get their like vision of what tabletop role, fantasy role playing should look like, and so this will just encourage that while still kind of keep it'll still keep people using kind of that shared language of like the fifth edition mechanics but Mm -hmm. as you said like because of this there's a lot more people looking at at pathfinder now there's a lot more people looking at call of cthulhu there's a lot of people looking like dungeon crawl classics like all those companies paizo sold out of eight months worth of of pathfinder books in two weeks like they had unforeseen sales. They there you and, can't buy print books right now because they are out of them until April. Like they have they had to order no print run. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually a good uh, a good reminder. Uh there is actually a humble bundle going on right now. Mm-hmm. Uh with like I think I want to say it was like twenty six bucks, whatever. Twenty five like, for tw- like twenty five bucks. bucks. 
and you get like 28 uh, PDFs, copies of their books and some Foundry stuff. And like, it is an incredible deal. If you think you're interested in playing Pathfinder, it is absolutely worth it to get the books to find out and how it goes to a good cause. Like, I would definitely recommend that anybody that's interested, even remotely interested in Pathfinder, check it out. Yeah, and then I think Cobalt Press also has a uh, kicks or not kicks a humble bundle that they are that includes like a lot of their stuff plus books from like old school essentials and some other other mm-hmm. publishers. So like, um, if if you want to try other things, now has been a is a fantastic time. Um, if D and D is your jam, but it's not really quite scratching the itch, or if you are wanting to kind of move away from fifth edition and try other things. Absolutely. There's so many choices out right now. And I mean, there's so, like, I, I don't even want to start to like list off all the resources because there's so many YouTubers, so many websites that will direct you to like, Hey, if I'm not, if I'm tired of D and D, what other things can I try? Um, so it's, yeah, and there's a lot of really good games. And now that said, if you like 5th edition D&D, A, you don't need wizards to tell you how to play it because yeah. you can get the rules now under Creative Commons. But like if you have an ongoing D&D campaign, like I'm running one and playing in two others, we're we decided as groups like we're like we will look at other game systems. There's a few that we definitely want to try, but we're not scrapping the campaigns that we have cuz You mean they didn't take away your books? They did not. Take, <laughs> yeah, I got rid of some of my books, but they were like adventures that I wasn't going to use. But like, I kept like all the core stuff that I'm going to need because they're mine. Like, I canceled my D and D Beyond account because I wasn't, and I wasn't really using it a whole lot anyway. So it wasn't a, a major. I, I do definitely feel for the people who had to decide, like, do I want to keep all my D and D stuff or do I want to ditch my D and D Beyond account because I did it all digitally? And a lot of them said, "Yeah, that's fine. I'll ditch it." and move on to something else. And I'm very proud of those people for doing that. For us, though, it's just like we talked about, do we want to try to convert to other systems? Do we want to wrap this up and do something different? We decided, no, we already own the books. They can, We can play D&D forever without giving them a dime. And yeah. so that's what we decided to do, although I have definitely thrown money at like Cobalt Press at, to get some of their uh, – like I had PDFs of some of their stuff, but I wanted to get it in print because I like dead tree formats – and I'm using stuff from third-party de- publishers, I think, more now as inspiration, both for, like, the game I'm in and stuff I'm, like, world-building over the next year. So um, I think it's been uh, – several people have said, and I think it's really true now, Dungeons & Dragons, the hobby, not the brand, but Dungeons & Dragons, the hobby, belongs to the community. It belongs to everyone now. And – uh they cannot take – there's no way for them to take that away from from the community at this point. And that is so good to see. Um, yeah. And sure. we're also kind of seeing that a little bit on the Netflix th- side of things where they tried <laughs> rolling out a, okay, we're not going to allow you to share passwords anymore. And a whole bunch of people basically said, oh, well, I guess I'm just going to quit using Netflix. And Netflix immediately like backpedaled and said, oh, no, that was just a draft. We didn't really mean to release that. Oops, sorry. It's like now nah, you tried to get people to sign on to it the other one <laughs> yeah but i'm i'm hoping we see i think i mentioned it a a, a couple episodes ago and i and i just like i want people to realize that if you work together as a community you can get these companies to at least listen because they don't make money if you don't buy their product so um if you if you decide that what they're doing is not in your interests it's okay to tell them no 
and the stuff that you already have is yours. Like, for example, like if Games Workshop decided to be evil all of a sudden, I don't have to buy anything else from them. But they can't stop me from playing the Warhammer I already have. And there's no reason for me to feel bad about it. I mean, if that I, just sounds like our talks between 7th and 8th edition. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. If, yeah, if you didn't like 8th edition, play 7th. It's fine. You, you know, it's like, so it's the same thing. It's like, once you own the stuff, which is also one reason why I'm leaning more towards having more physical copies of things like video games and stuff like that, rather than just having everything digitally. Because we've seen on like HBO Max and stuff, they can take it away from you. They can li- they literally can take it so you can't have it anymore. So I'm becoming a big believer in having physical copies of like my music and video games and stuff like that. So it's the last few months has really changed the way I I approach like my media and my gaming, and it's probably for the better. But anyway, just wanted to share that bit of gaming good news. So that saga is done for now, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the in the gaming the, the tabletop gaming environment as a result of this, and if other companies are kind of watching what happened and taking notice. So, so just uh, that, but that made me happy. So that is a source of morale for me this week, and I think for all of us too. So, for sure, uh, yeah, totally. But anyway, that wraps up episode 274. We'll be back in two weeks to look at Arcs of Omen Angron and what that brings to the boarding action environment. And who knows, maybe by then I'll actually buy some boarding action terrain. Who knows? But uh, but until then, from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and kill, maim, burn, everybody. Kill, maim, burn. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.